Judah and Matthew are dumpster people, and they occasionally use foul and inappropriate language. Listen at your own risk. Welcome to Brother Date Star Trek Edition. I'm Matthew. I'm Judah. Notice I said Trek this time. <laughs> I'm filing. You guys thought I would never figure it out, but I got it. 80th week. Uh, yeah, it's week 80 of this project. There is no more TOS. It's gone, and I never will watch it again. Uh, boy, yeah, it's hard. I, I find it very hard to imagine that I'm going to ever want to sit down and put one of those on. They are very long and uncomfortable to watch um so as always it's reverse order how they finished last week last week ds9 ate a big fat shit so they yeah i mean last. technically la- technically last week tos lost i mean oh, turn, turn about intruder <laughs> they, did real bad they did lose their last week uh they went out with uh with style but uh, you sort know of there's K-less no way to punish too. them so yeah sort of yeah. K-less was a kind of an embarrassing episode so. it, it really kind of was this week, though, we watched Our Man Bashir. Come spy with me. We can share intrigue of all variety. What a pair of secret agents we can be. You'll be there beside me, yes, and secretly, secretly. Oh, man. And it's not that the chorus about how their love will be their secret byword will, or whatever. Love will be our secret byword. Does not apply to Bashir and Garrick, but I had to cut it somewhere. I mean, doesn't it sort of apply? I mean, if the song is from the perspective of Garrick. I definitely get the feeling they're going to do a lot more adventures in there together after this episode's over. They could, something special could be happening there. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> All right, um, Bashir. God, Bashir is playing James Bond on the holodeck. And not it's for legal reasons, he can't say James Bond. <laughs> I mean, he literally just says Julian Bashir, so he's it's yeah. it's not. He didn't name his he didn't name his character vagina or anything. No, <laughs> um, uh, murder, fucking all of that business. That's what he's there for on the holodeck. Um, he uh, cheesily wipes out some bad guy with a champagne cork. I think it's Falcon. I think later we learn it's Falcon. Yeah, uh, and then Garrick walks in because again, holodecks are never locked. Even though in this episode, Bashir threatens to have him arrested for walking in on his shit. Yeah, he claims it's illegal. Yeah, but then like, what about all the other hundred and fifty times someone just walked right into somebody's holodeck program? I mean, the we know that the doors do lock. There was that whole locked room mystery where Odo's like, oh, "It could only have been me." <laughs> oh God, that's right. Season one when he when they wanted to frame him for murdering that guy. I'm the only... I could have slid between the cracks. Dude, I, it's, I could only have been... I'm going to become a chair. I barely even remember that episode. Yeah. But I guess either Bashir didn't lock it, or Garrick bribed Quark to unlock it, or Garrick he, can't do that. He knows the secret byword. Um. Anyway, Garrick came dressed to play. He's in a tuxedo and everything. Um. 
so anyway, after Bashir threatens to have him arrested, he agrees to let him play along with his weird spy game. Uh, Bashir looks crazy annoyed. Um, until the holodeck breaks in five minutes, or until they're stuck in the holodeck in five minutes, those are the fucking stakes. That's that's what we're at right now. Credits. Uh, uh, by the way, don't worry, because it goes to credits with Garrick saying what could go wrong, what could possibly go wrong. Yeah, as if the rest of this episode wasn't winking enough. Yeah. Okay, so Cisco, Kira, Dax, Worf, and O'Brien are flying back from somewhere on the Orinoco. I don't care where they're flying back from. Um, I, you know what? I'll just assume it was in the Gamma Quadrant. It was a conference somewhere, but it's probably in the Gamma Quadrant. It was definitely in the Gamma Quadrant. It's the only place they go. They were probably just doing donuts in front of the Dominion. <laughs> they went they went to that nebula, the Omarion Nebula, and they were just fucking, fucking jetting around that place. Just um, rolling coal and whipping shitties and all kinds of irresponsible driving. But on the way back to, oh no, the Orinoco, it's been sabotaged. Sabotaged, even. Um, they're beamed away by Eddington just as the runabout explodes, but they don't materialize in ops. Uh, their pattern is still in the buffer. Somehow Odo knows what needs to be done and is running around doing like engineering shit and checking all the panels. Um, yeah, Odo and Eddington running the show. Anyway, they don't have space anywhere to store the neural patterns of those on board. This is a new thing we're hearing about this week. So they have this to... Is what, this is what makes it different from Rascals and mm-hmm. uh, Lonely Among Us and all that. Is this time they got to store the whole person, not just use the transporter to do a funny whoopsie on them. To be fair, Rascals may not have happened yet. Right? No, it for sure did. Isn't season six of TNG season one of Deep Space Nine? Oh, yeah, you're right. I had that backwards. Yeah, Worf is already on the show. We're yeah, way yeah. post-TNG. Uh, anyway, uh, so they're neural patterns. It just takes up so much computer memory to store it. So um, they wipe the whole damn main computer memory. and uh, Yeah, they just tell the computer, do what you got to do. Yeah, and uh, they think it worked, but they don't know where the patterns are stored. Back on the holodeck, a secret room is revealed in Bashir's cool Hong Kong fucking loft or whatever with uh, a lounging Kira seemingly posing as a KGB colonel. They quickly ascertain that it is not actually Kira, just her image. Eddington uh, tells Bashir that if the program ends, uh, the patterns that are being kept in the holodeck memory will be lost. So they're going to have to keep playing the stupid holodeck game. For another fucking half hour. Yep, this is an episode where everybody takes a bunch of wild-ass guesses about what's happening inside the computer and then treats them as though they were the gospel truth. Yep. Yep. Oh, even at the end, Bashir's saying stuff like, I might, if I do this, they might die, and I'm not going to take that chance. Yeah. Um, inside the program, there are some uh, crazy earthquakes happening in the world. And uh, the KGB colonel thinks it has something to do with the disappearance of one Professor Honeybear. That's Dax. That they see it's Dax's picture. Before they can try to find her, a bad guy named Falcon walks in. That's O'Brien. O'Brien's Falcon. Uh, he says he's going to kill him, but Bashir and Kira do a cool make-out ploy to surprise and defeat Falcon. Um, Kira Kamananov wants to kill Falcon. But it's so hard even to read this. <laughs> But remembering that Eddington told him not to let anything happen to the characters and seeing the holodeck safeties are off because Garrick got a bit bloody in the fight, 
Bashir stops her. Uh, it's now that the plot of the episode, I guess, really begins. Garrick starts to work on Bashir, telling him he's gonna have to make some tough decisions, and maybe kill one or two to save the rest. There's no reason for him to say this stuff yet, but he starts saying it. Um, yep. Bashir doesn't agree, and now they have a, a new lead, though, on all this earthquake business. It's a guy named uh, Dr. Noah. Not Dr. No. Dr. Noah. Dr. Noah. Who may be behind all this earthquake business. Uh, back on DS9 proper, Rom and Quark are helping Eddington and Odo dig into the hollow suites to figure out what's up. That scene is very short. Um, back in the 1960s, Bashir, Garrick, and the Colonel hit up a casino. They're invited to play some Burt Baccarat with uh, Duchamp's. Duchamp. That's Worf. Worf is it that is guy. Worf. Uh, he, and he's not doing an accent. No, it's very confusing. Kira is Kira, doing... Uh, Kira for sure goes wild with an accent. Does a bad fucking Russian accent, but everybody else is just them. Yep. Um... Uh, Duchamp says Bashir can get a personal meeting with Dr. Noah if he pays 5 million francs. If you told me that was $130, I'd believe you. I have no <laughs> idea how much that was supposed to be. I have no idea what it would have been in the 1960s for sure. Yeah. Uh, Bashir says he's going to win with the uh, with, uh, cash at the table. He puts, in, he puts out one note and he's going to do a cool James Bond gambling thing and win the rest. Uh, Odo reveals that uh, a Bajoran extremist group, the True Way, has claimed responsibility for the sabotage of this runabout. Oh, shit, are they Bajoran? I wrote Cardassian. Oh, I thought it was Bajoran. Well, we'll have to look it up on Memory Alpha. All right, you, you keep going. I'll look it up. Yeah, it doesn't matter. This is a footnote that nobody cares about. This part of the plot is just techno babble to get the people restored to life uh, back from the holodeck and the main computers. Back to the casino, where Bashir dominates and wins all the money he needs. Duchamp KOs the whole gang with some, some, a cool gas-shooting cigar. And uh, they wake up in Dr. Noah's evil lair on top of Mount Everest. Yeah. Noah introduces himself. It's Cisco, But it's Clock Cisco. So <laughs> it is Clock Cisco. At least there's that. His dastardly plan is to flood the whole planet using powerful lasers. And only his special guests on top of the world's tallest mountain will survive on their new islands. Dax, as Honey Bear, is, uh, is helping him with this plan. Um, Bashir and Garrick are already known to Noah as spies, so he has them tied up in a cave that will fill with lava as soon as the lasers fire. Garrick tries to convince Bashir to give up on the Hollow Crew and just end the program, but um, Bashir just flirts his way out of it instead. Uh, he, like, makes out with uh, Dr. Honeybear, and she unties him. Garrick, It's all very dumb, but you have to remember, he's James Bond. He's James Julian Bashir Bond. Garrick continues to work on Bashir to give up and maybe kill the crew. He makes a big speech about knowing when to walk away. He starts to call for an end to the program, but Bashir shoots him in his big cardy neck. Just a flesh wound, though. Uh, they go back to the control room, and again, Clock Sisko won't let Colonel Russian Kira kill the bad guys. Not Sisko, Bashir. Yeah. Uh, they're captured again by Duchamp, but in order to, by the last few minutes, Eddington asks for Bashir breaks bad in universe. He pushes the big red laser button himself after recycling Garrick's dumb speech from a few minutes ago. Uh, the world ends for everybody except for the people on Noah's Mountain. 
That does the trick. Eddington and co. were able to get everybody beam back, and Bashir has saved the day. Uh, Bashir and Garrick do a chatty wrap-up, and Bashir promises that he'll, he'll be back for more adventures in this dumb universe. I cannot remember whether that happens, but I fucking hope not. Uh, they, uh, they, they barely do it, like, half of one more time, and it's because they got a real nasty letter from MGM about this. Good. And of course they did. Yep. <laughs> It's uh, it doesn't really feel like fair use, frankly. No. Like I get that it's called Our Man Bashir, yeah, like Our Man Flint. But even that was a James Bond parody, so like, uh, hey, knock it off. Yeah, did you find out who the True Way was? Uh, they are Cardassian separatists, okay. as indicated in my notes. This was a tough one. I I had a hard time watching and thinking about it. <laughs> uh, what was it about though? What do you think? Did it have a take? How about how about this take? We don't have notes for Ben. How about this take? Uh, cynicism might save your life. Yep. All right. I just closed. I just accidentally closed my notes. <laughs> <laughs> we're on. We're on fire here. Yeah, I'm, I'm fucking crushing it. Anyway, optimism is better. Hold on, I'm reloading it. Optimism better is better. Yeah. Uh, do you, but optimism might win the day. Do you Do you remember how many points that was worth? Yeah, yeah, I got so I got my notes open again. Okay. Don't worry. Um, obviously, this is just. Uh, hey, man, remember James Bond? Yes, it really is exactly that. This is not about anything. Yeah, and they weren't really trying to do much. And um, but the only conflict in this episode is Garrick wanting to cut and run, and Bashir fighting hard to save everyone, even though it might not be possible. It's literally the only plot of the episode. <clears throat> so I guess that's the take. I gave it four points. I don't think. I don't think that it's necessarily true. I don't think that blind optimism is necessarily the way to go. Yeah, they hadn't gone full aughts yet. It wasn't the aughts, so they sometimes they weren't in the aughts. Um, Every once in a while, they have to remind you that this is Star Trek. Yes, right. Uh, and you can't have both of them like that, obviously, because Bish- uh, Garrick's always going to be that kind of cynical, do whatever it takes to survive or whatever. They can't have them both be that guy, so... Um, I was sort of on the same page I have. Don't be too quick to abandon your moral code. Garrick wants Bashir to go to a plan B, which is maybe sacrificing <laughs> the lives of the altered hollow crew, but Bashir refuses to give in and finds a way to play the game long enough for the DS9 crew to f- fix the I, damn situation. You're, you're also, by the way, you're not wrong that Garrick is like, maybe we should kill O'Brien. <laughs> like, about, right about away. Six min- about six minutes in. <laughs> Bashir should go, what? What are you talking about? Where's... He's already unconscious. What do you? What's the problem? We could tie him up. I don't see what the problem is. <laughs> tie him up and keep him here in this uh, room that with the spin around bed, and just keep him in there for a while. And then we're not going to have to worry about it. Um, it was a five for me. It's just sort of a down the line. Who who really cares either way about this? Execution. All right. It was very mean of them to make us watch this for forty minutes. <laughs> I felt personally attacked. I- Coming, coming. By the way, hot on the heels of Little Green Men, mm-hmm. and then Sword the fucking Kalos. Sword of Kalos, which is Indiana Jones. Yep. It was hey, mean. how about how about not three homages in a row? That's what I'm saying. I felt. Can we not do three in a row? I felt offended last week when I saw that this episode was coming up, and it continued while I was watching. I was very offended. You should be. It's extremely offensive. The Doctor, who we hate, playing James Bond. But then they have to stay in the holodeck forever. The holodeck doesn't technically break, but like the rest of the station does. 
That's not an episode idea. This is an idea for something that Garrick and Bashir would recall, like, going through together off screen. Like, one <laughs> of them would say, this is worse than the time we got stuck in the holodeck playing James Fell Bond and we almost died. Marks. Yes, exactly. This is like a okay. conversation between, uh, <laughs> this is a conversation between Jedi, for sure. Okay, good. Um... Bashir refutes everything Garrick mocks him about the whole episode with, this is what spies were like in the 60s. Does he not know that this is a bad fiction? I assume he doesn't. He really thinks that this is just what life was like. Idiot. Uh, it's a two for me. I guess I liked it a little better. I guess. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I gave it three points. Uh, first of all, too, too much lampshade hanging about holodex breaking down. Yeah. Like, it's a trope already in in Star Trek. By the time you're doing this in this episode of Deep Space Nine, you can go ahead and just do it. You don't have to make fun of it. Yep. Um, I don't think anything that happens in the episode makes sense. Like, but especially this, the Hollow Suite is so overtaxed that they can't pause the simulation, or else maybe they'll die. No, I, don't I mean even know right up mean. at the top, they try to pause it, and uh. the computer's like, nah. I can't. But they can stop it, they think, maybe. Oh, man, maybe they could shut the whole thing down. Yeah. But, uh, but, but it's so fucking overtaxed that they can't even, like, you know, put it on hold for a second. But it has no problem suddenly calculating what to do in the non-Happy Path scenario of Bond siding with Dr. Noah. <laughs> it's true. The game just doesn't start. The little wheel doesn't start spinning going, hold on. Yeah. We're trying to fetch that. We're trying to fetch that scenario. Yeah. That, I mean, that for sure was not pre-rendered. <laughs> like, uh, it should have caused an out of memory error. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, it had no. It rolled with the punches for sure. That program. I had to keep reminding myself that Kira was intentionally doing a bad Russian accent. Mm, it was very bad. And that's not amazing. No, that's not like. There's nothing pleasant about listening to someone do a bad Russian accent for this is why I stopped watching Glow. <laughs> I mean that when is... Allison Bree's character starts doing a bad Russian accent, I was just out. I like that you can't watch a show where a character on the show is purposely doing a bad Russian accent. You're like, no, well, can't yeah, do it. I, can't I, do it. I don't know that her character is like it's bad in her mind, but I can't I can't watch that when there's some episode where she's going to someone's circumcision and she's singing, if I were a rich man, I'm just like, fuck it. Ah, all right. Well, <laughs> I enjoyed most of season one, I guess, of Glow. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, the question I have, the fundamental question I have is why did the staff of Deep Space Nine hate making Deep Space Nine so much <laughs> that they have to do a different show every week? I mean, they saw what they made, I think. I think they looked around. And they went, oh, look what we did. We made a bad show. And we filled it with bad characters who everyone hates. Let's not do it anymore. Let's do something else. I, I guess. I don't, look, I don't know. Next week is going to be Homefront Part 1. Yeah, it gets real plotty. Where Deep Space Nine starts getting plotty and dark again. Mm -hmm. uh, but, like, I don't know. It, it, it makes me not want to watch the show when I know that the staff didn't want to make the show. Mm -hmm. We are. And there, what else can you take from the last three episodes we've seen? We have certainly at least been in just right in the thick of filler season because these three are rough. That's like, and we'll get to it. There's a Robin Hood episode of TNG and the episode where Mark Twain is fucking around. <sighs> That's a two-parter. Is a, is a two-parter two for sure. And it is definitely... The people who wrote those shows were not particularly interested in the setting of Star Trek, mm -hmm. and they were very interested in these other things. 
But that's two episodes spaced out. Yeah. It's not whatever just happened here. So Yeah, it was rough. I'm sick of it's it. It's been a rough a month and a half for us. Yep. World building. Yeah, do it. Is there any? <laughs> N- neural patterns aren't normally stored in the transporter, and they can't be stored in the holodeck because they require quantum level storage. <laughs> There's a group of Cardassian separatists called the True Way. Yeah. Uh, everyone is real scared that the Hollow Suite might do garbage collection. Yeah. And clean up patterns once they're once they've been killed, and uh, you know all of Rom's hacking. She's got a spatula in there. Because it's made of a good... I gave it two points. Okay. Uh, yeah, again, for some reason this time you can't just store their patterns in the buffer. I mean, Scotty lived in it for 80 years. He seemed fine, but it's cool. Um, uh, but he set the buffer to auto-regenerate. And also, Eddington and Odo don't know that. <laughs> it's just... You, this is not the This is not the A-team in charge. I get it. I, I do hope that if Jordy was sitting there or something, they would have found a way to make this work. But uh, Maybe even Riker. What if Riker <laughs> just said, well, what if we make the transporter think they're data? <laughs> I don't really understand how that applies this time, but we'll think about it. That might work, I guess. Um. Anyway, it's uh too too much data, too much data. Um, if uh if the holodeck is holding everybody's neural patterns, wait, no, the holodeck's not holding no, neural patterns. It's not. It's only yeah. holding their images. We we by the way, it's a little bit unsatisfying also that we never check in with those five people and find out what was happening to them. What was it like having your brain in the computer? Yeah, at the end, they get beamed up and they all kind of look around like, oh, what happened? And that's it. That's all we get with them. Also, none of the holiday characters have any of their character traits because it's not them. Right. It's just their images. Yep. Uh, like you said, neural energy stored at the quantum level. The true way opposed to the peace treaty between Bejor and Cardassia. I guess violently opposed. But we don't get to learn any more about that. Uh, it was the only interesting sentence in the whole episode, and that was just the <laughs> o- the one they gave us, though, just the one sentence. Um, I actually had it as a one, because I have a feeling that none of this will ever matter. Because <laughs> every other time someone gets stuck in the transporter, they just, they find in there. Oh, like, I'm for sure not fighting you on it. Um, God, characterization. Bashir likes to dress up and play spy on the holodeck, but not, like, cool, gritty spy stories. Fucking James Bond. I mean, they seem like they'd be more fun to play. I guess so, but they're so cheesy. Um, He never wavers in his desire to save the crew, despite Garrick yelling at him and making fun of him the whole time. I might want to end the program just because I was sick of getting fucking pwned. <laughs> Garrick's all over him. Um, Garrick, By the way, Garrick is not helpful. Like He doesn't hey, do anything the whole to, episode. Oh, well, yeah, but I mean, like, also, we don't need you to make a sarcastic quip when he's making out with Dax. Mm-hmm. About how you'd give him privacy if you could. Like, hey, that's not helpful. Yeah, let him do let him work his game so you guys could not die in a fucking lava death. You're gonna you're gonna anti wingman right here in this situation? I guess he's still interested in taking Bashir under his wing. I don't know why else he'd show up there in the first place. I think he just wanted to laugh at him. I think he knew this was very masturbatory. <laughs> And he wanted to laugh at him because although he claims that no one knows what secretive program Bashir has been running, he does show up in a tuxedo. He knows. He for sure knows. Yeah. He dead like he 100% knows. Yeah. Um, so Garrick, I also get the feeling would have survived this holodeck experience, but he, he would, he would have turned it off. He would have turned it off. Um, yeah. 
that part's actually fine in character and everything, but this Garrick did nothing but get schooled by Bashir as James Bond the whole episode. <laughs> like he all he did was make comments about how dumb it was, but then he didn't do one thing. Bashir no. came up with the solution to every single problem. He was fully along for the ride, and I get that Bashir is the one who understands the James Bond universe, mm-hmm. which is not particularly realistic. Right. But uh yeah, that's my, it's one of my main characterization complaints, too. Yeah, it was the worst Garrick we've had, and I only gave this episode a three in characterization. Uh, again, this is kind of the, the pattern of this episode. I'm one higher than you on my score. I gave it as many as four. Okay. Um, the usual Garrick-Bashir dynamic, uh, but it, I do think it's a waste that Garrick didn't really have anything to add from his real-world spy experience. Yeah, the only thing that happens is that Bashir... That could have been helpful. Bashir parrots the speech he gives to yeah. to save yeah, the day ex- or whatever. Except for his stolen speech. Except for his plagiarized speech. Yeah. Um, Eddington, Odo, Quark, and Rom are all just saying plot ideas. And at one point, Quark knows where all their patterns are. <laughs> yep. It's, that's very dumb. And no one else is in it. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's tough. Yeah, I I could see a three even, but I I did score it four. It doesn't need any more beating up on, I don't think. Uh, well, quick hitters then. Okay, so to get around the licensing, they made Bashir play a maniac who plays James Bond but as himself. Uh-huh. Right? That's yes. what this is, right? He's doing James Bond, but he's doing a version of it where he's also still him. Yeah, again, it's like the character character name screen came up and he just put his own name in there because he, exactly. he didn't have any cool ideas. So he can just get to be called Julian and say Bashir, Julian, Bashir. Mm-hmm. It makes them seem like a real egomaniac. Oh, yeah. So the, the ladies in the program are like, oh, Julian, let's do a sex. And then he'll just remember that later. Yeah. Do you think that the Universal Translator mm-hmm. translated... Mona loves it into a nasty Cardassian pun for Garrick. Don't ask these kinds of questions. I know it's I a huge don't know how rail, to answer it. And I know that you, as you're falling asleep tonight, you'll be like, oh, I probably did, huh? I guess it must have known how to do it. It parsed it just exactly correct and made a sex pun for uh, for Garrick. Or is it just like, well, that's a name. Or is the Universal Translator dumb? And it's just like, well, that's a name. We don't translate those. I hope so. it's not just Bing or whatever. S- so it just said Mona loves it, Adam, and Garrick that doesn't mean anything to him. That's just a name. I really don't like it when you don't do this. Don't ask questions <laughs> about what the Universal Translator does. But I said I it's a third rail. It. It's not a joke. Like anytime you try to rationalize it, it's just very dumb. Everything about it is dumb and they should never have even talked about it. There's a scene where they think that Kira is doing a joke. Yeah, when she first shows when up. When she first shows up. And I thought to myself, well... Nana Visitor is a theater actor. Mm-hmm. She probably would show up at a party somewhere and then refuse to break character. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But would Kira? So, that would suck. Yes. Yeah, Kira wouldn't, yeah. we assume. Yes, Nana Visitor in real life would definitely try something like that. Uh, then I asked whether I would like Colomini any better when he's not playing DS9-era O'Brien, but he actually only has like two lines and they're nothing, so it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. I know Quark didn't have anything to do in this scene, but why would he know that the brain patterns are being stored everywhere else? It's Riker's transporter plan all over again. Mm-hmm. Why does Bashir know so much about gems? 
did the computer tell him all that stuff because he's James Bond you know. and James Bond would know in that scenario? Did he do research on a flight to Paris in the holodeck? Bro, I could only guess. So that he could play a geologist. I could only guess that he's played this adventure nine times. Oh, he's, <laughs> uh, I get it. This is not okay. the first time he's done this. That's why he knows everything he has to do the entire time. He knows exactly how to get dressed up the best. I mean, to be fair, he's only played the end part of the mission like three times. He's played the beginning oh, like yeah. 14 times. He always wants to restart, you know, but he's yeah, he's yeah, definitely, yeah. he memorized that shit about the rocks. Uh, finally, Earth's crust is a tricky phrase, but Avery Brooks really trips on it as uh, Hippocrates Noah. But how does he sound and that- in half speed? I, oh, I, I could, that could be my whole day if I went into any any Cisco scene half speed. I imagine it's wild. Yeah. Nevertheless, I did give him best actor, uh, Hippocrates Noah, and worst actor, Duchamp. Poor Worf. I. What was what was he doing? They said to him, uh, his scene, his character is deep voice. They went, hey, you're still Worf though. You get it, right? Like you're Worf, but you're not Worf. You're Worf, but you're also Duchamp. And he just went, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm just gonna wear my just makeup. Give, just give me, just give me the line reading. <laughs> yeah, I'm just gonna wear my makeup and wear my white tux, and I'm just gonna say whatever. It's fine. Uh, did you write down any quick hitters for this? I have some. Um, there are a lot of big fake tits in this simulated 1960s program. I wasn't oh, yeah. aware that Mona, Mona loves it for sure. That's a big nasty pair. Like, I didn't think plastic surgery was that prevalent in the 1960s. What is this program? What am I looking at? Yeah, I don't think any of the Bond girls were. No, right? Like that was augments. It was pretty rare back then to have the big fake boobs. Um, why doesn't Bashir just tell Garrick? And we've we covered this earlier, but why doesn't he just tell him this isn't supposed to be realistic? So stop making fun of me. This is for dummies and babies. This is this is this is a dumb trash entertainment. This is a book you would buy at the airport. Yeah, exactly. Please stop trying to tell me about how my life's fantasy about being a gritty spy is not right. <laughs> um, Kira's accent is a yikes. I have no idea whether Nana Visitor was trying to do a cheesy accent or not, but it was very hard to listen to. Um, I, either she was trying or she uh, got some feedback on it afterwards because in the post interviews, she talks about intentionally doing a bad Russian accent. Okay, so. good. That's um, But that also reminds me of when Troy said that that was a butt double in that one where she's up on the wire <laughs> and I don't believe it. And I've seen it. I've seen it a million times. I've seen it remastered and I don't believe it. Um, well, like you, I said, well, I guess Fa- Falcon must be Irish in-universe because we just hear Colum Meany's dumb accent. So I, I guess Falcon's Irish is what's happening. And Worf is just Worf and not some French tool. And Dax and Sisko are just using their normal voices. I mean, Sisko's clock Sisko, but... So, whatever. Um, O'Brien as Falcon is 30% more schlubby and confused than real O'Brien. <laughs> well, there you go. He looked so disinterested in everything that was happening in that oh yeah for sure they found the guy who doesn't look good in a leather jacket <laughs> he's got he's got the devil's curly hair yeah and he looked like he was sweating a lot and it was just like ah oh, jesus let him out of this like he's uh, he's mildly allergic to whatever they backed that eye patch with and it's just <laughs> making him like sort of puff around it and sweat he looked fucking terrible god that was it that's i don't ever want to talk about that episode again that was awful. Well, 
Uh, third place last week was TNG. Uh, another. Have they been doing that a lot recently? Let me see. Uh, remember me? No, that one. So it was just last week, I guess, when they were real shitty. Yeah, last week was not not a so good. But this week we watched Reunion. The Enterprise is investigating radiation anomalies. Uh, this is one of the ones where it's always interesting how they set this up. Sometimes they have already gotten the distress call from their boring mission Mm -hmm. and they're off to do something else. Sometimes you get a real matter of fact captain's log that actually isn't enough information to be interesting at all. Yep. Like this one. And then, and then we drop out and the thing happens anyway. They're investigating radiation anomalies and suddenly a Klingon ship decloaks and hails them. Hmm. Not just any, a, a beautiful Vorcha-class attack That's cruiser. That's right, the, the first appearance of the Vorcha-class attack cruiser. Uh, on board is Kalar, oh. and she asks to come aboard to discuss an urgent matter. Worf doesn't want to go meet her because of his dishonor, but Picard isn't going to let him off of his duties. Although Picard sends various different people down to the transporter room to meet dignitaries all the time. Yeah, he sends Riker most of the time. Uh, this, uh, Kalar is the Federation ambassador to the Klingon Empire. Seems like he should have put on his dress uniform and gone down there, but I guess this time it's Worf's problem because she's Klingon. And not only that, we'll definitely get into it because this is going to take an hour and a half, but um, he really shouts at Worf when Worf tries to get out of it. He's very stern. Yeah. It is, he is very stern about the whole thing. Yeah. It's like he already knows what the last scene is going to be. That's right. And he's uh, preemptively angry at Worf. <laughs> he saw the ship on Cloak and it all just kind of flashed before his eyes. He went, ah, oh, son of a bitch. Anyway, he goes on down there and uh, Kalar beams in and she's got a little kid with her. Mm. He's already four or five years old. Yep. Yeah, I know. He his, can't be as much as two, but yeah. <laughs> his name is Alexander. And after they drop him off in the ship's daycare, their old sex music plays. And then in the turbo lift, she tells Worf, that she doesn't give a shit about his stupid dishonor. Yeah. And she wonders why he hasn't asked whether Alexander is his, and Worf refuses to explicitly ask. <laughs> but anyway, it's his kid. It's, yes, for There's, sure. Uh, we're five minutes into the episode. There's no question. Yeah. In the observation lounge, Kalar tells the staff that the Klingon Empire is on the verge of a civil war. Mm. And that the only thing that's keeping it from happening is... Uh, Kim Peck's leadership and he is dying hey yo she says that but like Kim Peck doesn't seem like he's doing a great job well we don't he's gonna he is on Jake Sisko timing at this point where he has to get this accomplished because he will die today <laughs> yes no I understand what I'm saying is all the shit happened with Worf under his watch all that shit yeah, that the is sins of the father and now they're on the verge of a civil war and she's like oh, thank god we got Kim Peck well and here's like, the thing <laughs> <laughs> she don't she don't know about none of that that's true yes that's true she thinks he's doing pretty good uh he probably anyway, he's told her the... she was she was on his ship he probably told her he was doing a really good job <laughs> he probably said if it wasn't for me we'd already be at civil war <laughs> anyway uh he's on the ship and he wants to talk to picard alone so picard goes on over there mm-hmm. and uh kim Peck tells him he needs picard's help uh, not with his health, because he's been being poisoned for months, and he can't be helped now. Yeah. But with determining the succession to the leadership of the High Council. Uh, Picard tries to decline, because it's 
fucking none of his business. It is a crazy, wild request. Yeah. But uh, Kim Peck tells him, well, you can't decline. That'd be a pretty bad look. <laughs> so I got gotcha. you. <laughs> yeah, I got gotcha you again. You're, you're painted into a corner. Old Kim Peck got gotcha. you. Uh, anyway, the opposing candidates are already en route. And double anyway, you don't actually choose this successor. They're going to fight about it. Yeah. But you have to you have to officially name them as candidates, mm. even though there are only two. Yes. And those two are Galron, Ooh. an outsider who has often opposed the council. We know him from DS9 already in this project. <laughs> we do. Which kind of spoils this episode. That's okay. He's and, so cool in this episode, it doesn't matter. And Duras, mm-hmm. or as Galron will say, Duras. <laughs> Kimpeg asks Picard to find the man who poisoned him and prevent him from becoming the leader because such a man cannot be trusted. Mm. Then he dies off screen. Yes. We just get a captain's log where Picard says Kimpeg, the leader of the Klingon High Council, is dead. Kimpeg timed that shit perfectly. Yeah. Uh, Worf pulls Alexander out of daycare for some reason mm. and then goes and has an argument with Kalar about his upbringing. And she says, well, then you be his dad. But Worf, uh, Worf can't because his dishonor would descend to Alexander and to Alexander's children. Yeah. And at this point, she starts picking at his decision to accept discommendation. Mm-hmm. Like, she wants to know what the hell happened there. Why but... did you accept discommendation, Worf? Exactly. Something like that. Uh, but they get called to the bridge because uh, the two ships arrive in formation. Like, they must have met somewhere else. Oh, uh, they both got the wrong rendezvous point. They both met on the other side of this planet. And they went, where's the ship? I don't get it. And then they looked at it and they went, oh, you got, we both got the wrong. Okay, I get it. No, we're supposed to go over All there. All right, fine. Let's go. Well, I guess we should go together. I mean, we're both cool. here. We might as well, you know. Uh, Duras, who is on board the Vorn, mm. uh, hails first and tells Picard he has no business being a part of this succession. And also he hates seeing Worf. He hates it. He hates it to hell. <laughs> as soon as Worf is fucking walks by in the background, he's like, what the fuck? Oh, what the fuck? Oh, God. Um, Picard uh, pulls Worf into his ready room and says, hey, here's the deal. Kempek was poisoned. So I guess he hadn't told anybody yet. No, he's been sitting on that one. Uh, and your job is to find out who did it. And Worf, of course, already suspects Doros. Sure, they have a... For personal reasons. Yes, they have lots of personal things going on in this episode where they are... Well, we'll we'll super get into it. Yeah. Everybody meets up on the cruiser uh, and stabs Kempek's body with a pain stick just to make sure he's really dead because I guess a lot of previous Klingon leaders have been like, surprise! I don't know. <laughs> so the pain stick got him and they went, ah, I didn't know you guys were going to do that! Ah, man, I almost had you. I guess it's like they're checking to see if the Pope has balls or whatever. <laughs> it's, um, by the way, everyone but Kalar is pretty disdainful the way they stab him. Yeah, that is true. It's not respectful at all. Kalar's kind of ni- Kalar's kind of nice, but both Galron and Duras are kind of dicks about it. Yeah, they kind of are. Uh, Duras is like really impatient for the ceremonies to conclude, and uh, then there's a sudden explosion. Yeah. It turns out two Klingons are killed. And I guess it gets Worf and Kalar pretty horny because they're finally about to take the fucking oath. Yeah. Until Worf backs off because of his dishonor. <laughs> this dishonor, what can I do? I see. Picard needs a way to delay the procedures while they investigate the bomb. Mm-hmm. So Kalar suggests they do an old form of the rite called the 
the Jajuk. Yes. And then, which basically means both challengers have to give a big speech. Uh, I like how uh, we get to see just the last word of Gowron's speech. <laughs> Battle. Yeah, it's true. They don't. They don't think that it could be cool for us to know anything about these people. No, I guess. Now they're too busy doing other stuff. Like uh, Worf has set the lights in his foyer to Roxanne, <laughs> and he teaches Alexander how to swing a batleth. And it's the first time we see a batleth. Oh yeah, I guess that's true. That seems impossible. Yeah, but it is. Wow, that's pretty neat. Uh, I guess they have a recess. Like I don't know, maybe after Duras's speech or something. Uh, because Gowron goes to bribe slash threaten Kalar into speeding up the succession process, mm. which makes her pretty suspicious of him. Yes. But once Jordy and Data tell Riker that the bomb had a molecular decay detonator. What? We all know un- that. A uniquely Romulan device. <sighs> Fuck, I knew it. Uh, everybody that knows all about the thing that happened last year uh, is much more suspicious of Duras. Mm-hmm. And they can't not keep dropping hints about it that make Kalar even more curious about it. No one does her any favors. I mean, I get that they don't know she's going to be brutally murdered in 10 minutes. (laughs) But like every every time she asks for more information in this episode, they go, nah, I don't I don't have anything for you. Uh, Yeah, for real. Like there should be a moment where Picard should have been like, surely I could have told her. Mm -hmm. No one feels any regret about it. No, no one gives a shit. Uh, and sure enough, as soon as this meeting is over, she runs right to her quarters and starts digging around in the old database. Yeah. Um, Picard, I think, tries to startle the two with the news of the Romulan involvement. Mm-hmm. Or at least just buy a little more time because they both go back to their ships or say they're going to go back to their ships to confirm the result of the of the bomb. Yeah. Uh, but at this point, Kalar... Uh, finds that she can't search anymore because of a restriction placed by Duras, and she starts searching about him, and one of his men gets an alert about that, so he's got a Google alert on his own name. I was going to say, or it says something like, he got an email that said, someone's trying to sign into your Twitter account in New Jersey. Is this... Right. (laughs) Is this you? If not, you should change your password. So I guess he has quarters on the Enterprise. We never really see that happen, but that's where they seem to be because he has one of his men go out and distract the guard and he goes to her quarters and they argue about the Kittimer investigation. Mm. At this point, Crusher has worked out that the, uh, she did a Dexter analysis and (laughs) the the bomb fragments say that the bomb was in the arm of one of Duras's men. Oh shit. Well, now we know who did it. Riker knows who did it. Yeah. But before that information can be turned into anything useful. Uh, Worf is, I guess, bringing Alexander home from daycare, too. Yeah. But when they get to Kalar's quarters, she's all bloodied and dying. Mm-hmm. She has enough time to say stuff like, Alexander. Yeah. And also, when Worf asks if Gowron killed her, she does say, no, Duras. Mm-hmm. So she names him as her killer, and she reaches out for Alexander's hand, and then she dies, and then Worf makes Alexander look at the body, because he doesn't know about kids. <laughs> no, he doesn't know anything. And then when Dr. Crusher gets there, he just leaves Alexander with her and goes to his quarters and takes that cool bat left off the wall and uh, takes off his communicator and his sash. Yeah. And, uh, you know, goes somewhere. Picard and Riker learn that where he's gone is the Vorn. Oop. And Riker takes Data and uh, a security guy and they go over there to get him. But by this time, Worf has already reached Duras's sitting room. <laughs> Something. It's got like a pillow, an embroidered pillow in there. It's an odd room. It was not the bridge. Right. 
And he claims the right of vengeance. We know because there's a guy who gets an extreme close-up who says, He's claimed the right of vengeance. <laughs> yep. It's kind of like, uh, this guy's given it like a 60% Kern read. <laughs> yep. Do you know what I mean? Oh, he makes like, a... He doesn't get all the way to Kern. He makes a real meal out of it because he needs to put this on his reel. It's, oh, it's for desperation sure. for him. Uh, when uh, when Worf says that Kalar was his mate, Duras seems real irritated to learn this. Yep. And he uh, pulls out a Wakazashi for some reason. That's what he uses. Like, not even a full-length katana. No, no, that's too big for him. That's what he's going to use. Well, you know, they're indoors. Maybe that's a better choice, actually. Yeah, you don't want to swing around and hit the ceiling fan or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Riker and Data get there just in time to see Worf plant his blade in Duras's chest. <laughs> it's true. They open the door and they see Worf winding up and they give a real feeble, Worf, no! But uh, he was already swinging. Like, I don't yeah, know what he could have done. It was too he bad. definitely didn't disobey an order, but he should have known. Well, that this wasn't going to be cool anyway. Yeah. Picard tells Worf he's getting a formal reprimand. <laughs> it's one of the silliest moments in the whole series. <laughs> I can't wait to talk about it. Clear um, your calendar, you motherfucker. We're talking about this all <laughs> night. Uh, but he also encourages him to tell the truth about Duras now that he's dead. And Worf says, nah, it's not time yet. Because uh, all of the members of the High Council were complicit. Yeah. So, oh, they, I got a lot of guys I'd have to embarrass. Yeah, this is not. We're not yet. It's not yet time. But the, you know, the day will come or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, uh, Kalar's dead, so there's really no. There's no rush. No one else is looking into it. Yeah, not yet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Worf tells Alexander that he's uh, gonna send him to live with his human parents. And uh, oh yeah, by the way, you got me over a barrel here. I am your dad. <laughs> Worf, God, you know. When Worf goes to DS9, he's a real piece of shit, but, like, it starts here. Yeah. I mean, if it didn't start in season two, it definitely starts here, where he, from the beginning, is the worst parent. (laughs) Because he makes no effort. He does say uh, all kinds of stuff to Kaylar, like, I cannot acknowledge your child. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, all right. (laughs) That's what we're going to do. By the way, both these two suck. I I, I can't keep saying, we're going to get into it. I promise, I have uh, like nine pages of notes on this. Well, let's start, because Matthew, what is this episode about? Ah, uh, people who act without integrity in their personal life, well, probably do the same in their professional life. It could be an oversimplification, but it's it's one that makes a lot of sense. Uh, it's why you can't trust these damn politicians, and it's why they couldn't trust Duras. Like, they knew that they couldn't let Duras be the leader of the fucking High Council, because they knew he was a real fucking piece of shit. Yeah. I gave it a seven. Uh, well, that feels like surprisingly a lot for that straightforward to take, but... It's very true, and some people are like, oh, I don't care what he does in his personal life. Uh, that is true. That's there fun. are definitely people like that. Yeah. Uh, and we are definitely operating in the same area here, because I have, when politics are inherently personal, the safety of the state is threatened by personal foibles. Yeah. Right, this is a cult of personality. These dudes are going to show up, brag about all the cool shit they've done, and then fight each other to the death, and that's how the leadership of the High Council is... uh, (laughs) Yes. Is decided? That is the cool way they have thought of, but don't worry, there's an even cooler way that gets picked. (laughs) Yeah, well, uh, we see that Duras and Garon are both flawed men. Yeah. But aside from about 25 seconds of discussion on what 
ties with the Romulans might mean for the Quadrant, no one cares about or investigates their policy. It's all personal strength, right? Yeah. The, the, this whole thing, there's no politics in this at all. It's just personal between these two people. Yep, they know one of the guys, and they are looking for any reason. And this already, it's already a bad enough situation that the only way Kim Peck can assert any kind of control and continuity is to use Picard, mm. an outsider, yes. to make this decision. And then, of course... Uh, Duras is brought down because he happened to kill the wife of a better fighter. Yes. If Worf was not as good a fighter... It would have been fine. No no problem. Who knows what happens next? Probably Duras takes over. Yes, right. Exactly. He has or maybe Gowron kills him. So right? no one's going to arrest him for murdering her or whatever. Yeah. Worf left and went to his ship yeah. and challenged him to a duel. It's probably not going to be consequences. Um. So yeah... Like, hey, make your politics about about politics. Don't pick it based on individuals. Yes, but I guess you're... This episode doesn't go far enough to say that... Like, what you're saying is, in this episode, no one really cares about the politics of it. No one gives a shit. Yeah. No one talks about them. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I give it a six. Okay. Uh, what about Examecution? This is a big soap opera episode. There's a lot going on. But I guess it's my kind of soap opera? Yeah, the Klingon stuff's usually pretty good. Yeah. Uh, number one, the score is always very good in Klingon episodes. Mm -hmm. And we get a lot of that here. Not only that, in the opening scene, when the there's a mystery, you get the some of the Borg music. Oh, yeah, it starts right off the bat with suspense music, yeah. for sure. Um, Picard and Kim Peck talking to each other quietly about big high stakes political issues is, was a nice little scene. Mm -hmm. Kalar is always very big. Yeah. On screen. Yes. But she and Worf are, are real good together. Uh, there's a few nitpicks. Uh, Duras's bomb plan doesn't make a lot of sense. Who's he trying to bomb? Was it on a timer? What's he doing? Like, that's what molecular decay detonator sounds like to me. And like that, some kind of timer. And that makes but sense. that's a lousy plan. It makes sense it's on a timer because he's desperate to get out of that room. Yeah. But, but like, then, like, what was the what was the plan after that? He's going to tell Picard, well, there's only one challenger now. Your hands are tied. Oh. Or was he hoping to kill Picard too? That's what I'm saying. I don't understand or what the plan Picard is. Picard wasn't in his plan at all before, and he's just he just is not able to improvise. Yeah, it's not clear. Also, killing Kalar was an immense risk. Yeah, I mean, like, if... Okay, so... Oh, God. There's no way to say any of this without getting into all the rest of it. But, like... Okay, th this guy, this outsider, like you said, this Federation captain has been chosen to choose. He's the chosen chooser. Yes. And if you kill a Federation ambassador, don't you think... That's especially if you are a person without integrity, you probably assume other people are the same way. And don't you assume that's going to color his his fucking judgment on this and that he's probably not going to want to pick you? I, I, I think maybe Duras doesn't care if this ends in a civil war. That could be. But I also think that Duras is used to people cleaning up after him. Oh, he's got a lot of O'Briens. <laughs> He's got a lot of O'Briens on his team. <laughs> you suppose O'Brien uh, naturally started to follow him around the ship and then uh, halfway through the episode went, wait a minute. <laughs> wait, hold on a this second. This guy's not my boss. What's happening? <laughs> it's just, I'm just getting a vibe or something. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, Kim Peck was cleaning up after him about the whole Kidmer yeah. thing. Like, uh, anyway. Uh, it's not a perfect episode, but I enjoyed it a lot. Is deep continuity in one of only a handful of series arcs. Mm -hmm. uh, 
I gave it a seven. Yeah. Um, well, just talking about my take, they all know from fucking beat one that Duras is bad news. So even though Gowron seems pretty shitty too, it's surprising to nobody when they find that Duras is the one who planted the bomb and like they know all along that this guy is the guy who can't be picked. And because there's so much else going on, there's no scene where Picard goes, am I on Team Crazy Eyes now? <laughs> like, look what we have to pick. Look what they gave us. 2020, Have you everybody. seen the way this guy sits in a chair? Welcome to... Tw- with his wrists cocked way in and his elbows forward? <laughs> yeah, it's true. He is a fucking little weirdo. Welcome to 2020. That's all I'm saying. Look at the choice <laughs> they've given us. Um, uh, somebody was mad about his bitch of an ex-wife and made <laughs> and made Kalar a real game player, a real manipulator. We'll get into it in characterization, but I didn't enjoy the way she was portrayed in this. Um Kim Peck makes the wildest choice ever. And that is oh, yeah. the baseline that this episode sets for the Empire moving forward, I guess. It's like this is the shit they do there. This is the least impartial and therefore, like, least legitimate decision that's ever been made. Yeah, this is... He... He do, he can't, for some reason, can't be seen to back Gowron. Mm-hmm. And so he's doing... He's taking this... And everyone else on the council remembers Worf's challenge, for uh-huh. sure. They know what it means that he's picked Picard, but they're happy to make it someone else's problem, too, I guess. So the last few times I've watched this episode, I've come away going... Like, you don't know it in this episode. I mean, they talk about the possibility of it, but no shit there's a civil war soon. Like, of course. (laughs) Who can accept this decision? If you're in the Empire and you hear that a guy from the Federation, who is obviously uh, has a vested interest in how this goes because there are three important powers in this quadrant or whatever, is going to pick between two of the guys, but one of his lieutenants murders one of the guys... Yep. Which leaves just the other guy, and then he goes, "Yeah, this is the guy. This is the guy I picked. Not because of the saying, death, because I, I picked him." You're saying it's weird how many episodes there are between yes. this and the actual civil there war. There should never have been one minute where Gowron sat on that fucking chair, where he was looking at <laughs> spreadsheets and shit. That should never have happened. Before yeah, he I got home, he, there would already be a civil war. The only thing you can assume is that actually killing Duras made everyone think for a minute. I guess. I mean, I guess. <laughs> I mean, maybe they were all sick of Duras, and when he died, they were like, all right, we don't, we're not beholden to this piece of crap anymore. Like, maybe we're kind of, we can figure this thing out. And then only when the Duras sisters and the kids show up do they have to, like, fall back in line or something. But, like, no shit, there's a civil war. <laughs> um, we are introduced to a... Hey, Kimmick might not have been a good leader, huh? That's what I'm saying. He must have told Kalar he's holding it all together because there's His no way she it- could think that. His business in Sins of the Father was pretty shady, and he seemed pretty disgusted by the whole thing himself, but like... <laughs> and uh, he didn't give it a lot of thought, and when it, came, it blew up in his face, he seemed really, like, not that surprised. Like, he was like, yep. oh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, you're right. He was not shocked like, by any of that. Yeah, no, I, that was a pretty bad plan, I guess. You were supposed to stay dumb. <laughs> I guess we should have maybe assumed that... Yeah, I guess there was a chance you would have come back and then, ah, f- ah, shit. Okay, that one's, this is kind of on me. Um, uh, a pro to this episode, we're introduced to a fucking all-time character. Yeah, I don't know, like, so, uh, Robert O'Reilly, 
who plays Gowron. Mm-hmm. We've already he's been in TNG as a different as a crazy eyed holodeck man. Yes. Uh so when they cast someone that they've cast before, it's like, yeah, they like that guy, but also you have to assume that they're thinking, this character isn't gonna become a regular. No, but then they also make him the head of the council at the end. So it's yeah. like, oh maybe though. Look, for that reason alone, this would hold a special place in my heart, just because yeah. this is Galron one. And and by the way, he's Galron right off the fucking bat. I don't know if they how much of this was directed for it, like how much they were telling him that this is what they wanted out of Galron, or how much of this was this dude just being a fucking weirdo. But he just fucking put the makeup on and he said, "What's my name?" And they said, "Galron." And he said, "I've got it." <laughs> it's like die well, Duras. Um. Okay, so a lot of characters in this, as we've touched on already, are operating without, like, all the facts. Like, a lot of the characters are walking around, and they should know more. If they knew more, they would be in better shape. And, like, it's actually kind of realistic and works pretty well that there are lots of people who are acting on bad information or bad assumptions. Yeah. Like, Galron does the shit that incriminates him because he doesn't know about all the stuff that happened with Worf and Duros. Right, he doesn't know that he, if he just hangs back... Mm-hmm. This thing pretty much has to go his way. He doesn't know that Kimpek has been poisoned. He, he doesn't know Kimpek's been poisoned. He doesn't know Gowron is working with the Romulans in a way that will uh-huh. uh, b- b- incriminate him. If he knew Kimpek was poisoned, he wouldn't have said, you'll end up like Kimpek. Clearly. Oh, uh, for sure. Yeah. Ga- um, Kalar gets herself killed because she doesn't have all the facts. She's fucking digging deep into shit that is going to cause her a big problem. Um Duras doesn't know shit about Kalar and Worf. That obviously ends his life. Uh, <laughs> yep, that one really catches him by surprise. Picard is, like, cast adrift here in the beginning of this episode and luckily gets some help, but he doesn't know what the fuck's happening in this fucking shit either. So many people are just walking around like, I don't know what the fuck's going on here. And that is much more realistic than everyone in the episode knowing everyone else's shit down to the last letter or whatever. Oh, it's the opposite of a fucking caper movie. Like in a mm-hmm. caper movie when someone gets caught and then there's a fucking flashback to them planning how the dude was going to get caught and you're uh-huh. like, "All right. Okay, caper movie." That's right. Every single so this detail. This is a fucking this is a fucking opposite of that. No one has no one has any idea what's about to happen at yeah. any point. Which is what happens most of the time in real life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I gave it a seven. I was in agreement. I thought it it mostly was good. There's some wild shit in there that drops it down to a seven just why why would Kim Peck think that anything that was going to happen after he died was going to be a good thing maybe he doesn't care either I don't know but he yeah. set up a real dumb system that's one of the symptoms of viridium six poisoning it could be <laughs> that with, along you with kind of just don't give a shit about what comes next also you really want to drink more so what <laughs> it makes you symptom. thirsty that's the worst part about yeah, it it makes you so thirsty for more it makes you thirsty and it increases your tolerance for alcohol it's crazy um what what how did they world building wise um all right there's a lot here um it's uh, by the way this is kind of a big it's hard to tell from this episode how big a world building episode this is going yeah, to be that's the thing but you do you still do learn a lot of stuff about the klingon empire in particular yeah if you are allowed to um view the rest of this plot as it unfolds over the next couple seasons or whatever yeah then it would be well, i mean once more. you've seen galron in deep space nine yeah you're like, oh, maybe this is big. Worf seems to know all about this guy. Uh, like you said, they're doing some radiation shit in the gamma arugula system. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that Vorchon model. I'm so glad it was made. Um, two factions vying for control of the Empire. Kalar says 
Nobody's going to be able to avoid taking sides in a Klingon civil war. Um, oh, yeah. There's, there's a lot of talk about how it'll spill outside the Empire. Yeah. Uh, Viridium 6 poisoning over a long period of time. Dude's just been dosing up with his wine. Again, the craziest way anybody has ever decided a state leader. Imagine if this had happened in the Twitter era. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Twitter would have been wild on this one. Um, I mean, really, just imagine if uh, two cardinals fought to the death to become pope. <laughs> and then they, they, picked someone, they picked someone from some other religious hierarchy to make the decision. <laughs> There must be a non-zero number of times where the winner in this battle also died of his wounds a few hours later. Oh, right? we call that a Bob Sap. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, when he's got broken ribs and a broken hand, and even though he won the fight, Ernesto Hoost gets to advance. Yeah. Because Bob Sap can't walk or whatever. <laughs> um. Oh, yeah, but not just two cardinals fight to the death, but then you pick someone from outside of the church to make the decision, but then one of his lieutenants kills one of the cardinals. Yeah. <laughs> Um, all right. The two challengers show up in their own cavorts. Again, all these dudes have private armies and navies and shit. Um, although the ships are all the same. So, oh, they're clearly buying them from the same place. There's one very rich Ferengi, like probably dishonorable <laughs> Klingon, right? Yes. Who makes these ships and sells them. Who has his huge munitions company or whatever. And he sells everyone cavorts and fucking forges and shit. And presumably Burrells, but we'll talk about it's that. It's probably later. just Saab. Right? <laughs> Don't you assume? Saab's just getting their fucking money in the 24th century. Uh, this death ceremony for Kimpek. Do only state rulers get this? Or just anyone of a certain status? I don't know. Um... Worf and Kalar at least begin the mating ritual before Worf realizes he doesn't have any condoms. Um, well, I mean, he sees that little boy in front of him. He's like, ah, I gotta wrap it up. I gotta make that mistake again. Uh, the ancient succession rites, the Jajuk ceremony. Duras wears like much more ornate shit than Gowron, but it might be because of his family status or something. I get the feeling the Duras family is uh, pretty legit. Well, they keep kicking around. We keep seeing Duras's goddamn ancestors. Yeah, they're always f they're always all over the fucking place. They're really bad news. Um, Romulan style detonators on the bomb. Everyone understands this fact that as soon as they hear what kind of detonator it is, that it's Romulan. So maybe the Romulans should use something else. Well, they've all seen them in use on uh, Moray Three. <laughs> Where did Worf see the? Doesn't matter. Okay. Um, Proximity detectors from Legacy. Oh, uh, yeah, I don't remember now. Yeah. yeah. It's a throwaway. Uh, Jordy says Romulans and Klingons have been blood enemies for 75 years. Um, a suicide bomb is considered uh, an honorable way to go. The right of vengeance. Killing a foreign dignitary for personal reasons gets you a fucking note in your file. Yeah, I mean, he says that the High Council agrees that it's all cool. Mm -hmm. They said, oh, cool, 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 cool. Right of vengeance, you say? Yeah, there's some. there are a lot of things that make this much easier on Picard, thank goodness. Because the High Council goes, we're good. And then I, I, also, Duras I, is a murderer. 
And also uh, he planted a bomb and also he was working with the Romulans and also they knew he was a liar about other stuff. So like he's lucky this guy is such a goddamn piece of shit that he can just put a note in Worf's file. Uh, For sure. But also for the one millionth time, or I guess technically the 80th time, Mm. he does not appear that he has spoken to anyone in the Federation about the huge task that has been laid at his feet. No, you're right. He never calls home and goes, guys, 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 guys. They want me to pick the ruler of the Klingon Empire. I'm not excited about it. Don't yeah, I see you on the other side of this Zoom meeting making that face. I'm, this isn't a good thing. Technically, there are two challengers, and everything would be cool if I just said you two are the two challengers. <laughs> but, like, he specifically came because one of these two people poisoned him. Yep, and then he made a lot of threats that I, I was easily maneuvered into accepting because he <laughs> told me that one of them might even be willing to work with the Romulans or something. So, like... It's not a cool situation, and I would appreciate some fucking advice and not just mugging for the camera. A-Ron. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and also, like, he doesn't send them, you know, like a draft protocol about how he's going to make these decisions. No, or... he's making it up as he goes. There's fucking no paperwork at any point. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, like I said, there's a lot here. Not all of it is necessarily crucial. Um, we don't know from this episode and certain things are insane. Um, so I gave it a five. I also gave it a five. Okay. Uh, we, we, there's so much, I couldn't, obviously it's not the standard three. There's actual world building yes. really being done here. Klingon succession laws, uh, the, even more stuff on familial dishonor, the right of vengeance. Uh, here's a wild one. Picard says there are representatives of 13 planets oh, on yeah. the Enterprise. I meant to that seems that like too low. They know, though. They know that almost every extra they have on that show is just a human. Yeah, I guess so. They know they aren't like, peppering the background with aliens like it's a Star Wars cantina or something. But he's he's cheating, right? Like, he, he's counting human all humans, no matter where they're from, as being from Earth when he says 13 planets. Oh, yeah, I assume he meant 13 species or whatever. Yeah. Also, is he counting Data as being from Earth? <laughs> this is a good question. I don't know if he counted Data as one of his 13. Because it's like... And does he, does he count Guinan? Because she's there, but she hasn't really taken an oath to Starfleet. We assume. Well, look, he didn't give. He didn't do the math in front of us. That would have been fascinating if he. Because had. it's like when you've got you've got Counselor Troy, you got Worf. Worf must be included because of the context of the speech yeah. as being from the Klingons and not from Earth. Well, I don't know. I mean, maybe he meant besides him. I don't know. Honestly, right. I don't yeah, know. I guess could be. Uh, but then, like you know, again, Guinan, Mott the Barber. It's true, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know if they got any more than Benzites kicking around. Who can say? It seems like there ought to be at least one, right? Yeah, there's uh, probably yeah. like uh, Andorian, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, and uh, I also have here Duras uh, shops the uh, knife collector show. <laughs> yes, he does. He likes to pull the fucking, when he gets his shipment, he pulls it out, and he also cuts a piece of paper. Then he goes, <laughs> yeah, for sure. It is sharp. I got it. He definitely does cut a piece of paper with it. Uh, for characterization, so again, I'm a five on world building. Yeah. Uh, it's a good Worf show if you accept that Worf is a kind of a crazy person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, he for sure loses it at the end, but I guess she was his wife. Yeah. Uh, all the returning guests are very strong. Kim, Kim Beck and Duras and Kalar. Mm-hmm. 
Picard is real stern and contemplative in this one. But I guess this is some pretty big deal stuff for him, so why would he be lighthearted about yeah. anything that's happening here? This isn't like when he was kind of enjoying himself being Chadich. No. That, he wasn't the star of that, although I guess he was because Gimpek came straight back to him. Uh, yeah. But uh, but yeah, you're right. This is, um, there's, I think there's a lot weighing on him. The rest of the Enterprise crew are uh, Little League rules on this one, and including the few scenes where Riker pops up and it's like, oh yeah, he's there. Yep. Just as the story is not about him in any way, but I guess he's the one who's leading the bomb investigation behind the scenes. Yeah, is Troy in this one? I don't even remember. Uh, if she is, she doesn't say anything interesting. <laughs> You'd think she would have checked in with She doesn't her... have a catch-up with her friend yeah, Kalar. she doesn't check in with about, her so they can follow up hey, on her. Hey, do you still feel like you're torn between two different worlds? <laughs> yeah. and... Have another conversation that's not about dudes. They could do it again. Yep. Uh, you know, it would have been like, oh, you, oh, so uh, Alexander, huh? I had a kid for, um, <laughs> yeah, I know what it's about like. 18 hours, about solid 18 hours. Anyway, I know what it's like to parents. be a single parent. Okay. I gave it a five for characterization. Okay. Um, boy, there's so much here. Uh, Kalar doesn't care about keeping shit professional. She just shouts out to Worf over the view screen in scene one. <laughs> She just goes, Captain, and then she goes, Lieutenant Worf. <laughs> it's true. Uh, she's a real fucking manipulator. She beams over with a kid without, you know, ever saying anything. And then in the fucking turbo lift ride, she's like, aren't you going to ask if it's your kid? <laughs> and all this shit. And it's like, again, that's why I said earlier that some writer had a real bitch of an ex-wife problem. And he's like, and of course she's a total manipulator. She wouldn't even tell him if she had a kid. <laughs> I assume so, but also is not he doesn't come off real good in that scene either, frankly. No, they're both monsters. Yeah. Uh Kalar does seem to sense that Worf couldn't even possibly come from Trader's Seed. She oh, just yeah. doesn't buy it from the start. Um well, she she says she doesn't buy that he would just give up. She's like, You're not a traitor, Worf. Probably because he kept trying to get her to take that fucking oath. Last time he was pretty insistent, but now that there's a kid there, he's like, I don't know. She like held hands with him one time. He started saying the words. That's true. She was pretty scared. Ah, uh, she doesn't back down. It gets her killed. Um, Picard snaps at Worf pretty hard about his request to send another officer down to meet her. Um, Picard is again easily maneuvered into this wild fucking scene. Yeah, some part of him must have wanted to do it. I think so, because Kempek's like, I don't know, anyone who's capable of poisoning me is capable of anything, even just like, you know, uh, uh, working with the Romulans or attacking the Federation. Who knows what? And Picard just runs with it. Uh, but he does love fucking lording over these two jerks. Oh, he does. He really does enjoy springing the Jajuk on them. and uh... He's always like, it is what I have chosen. You are welcome to withdraw. When, when they finish the fucking jaw joke and then Worf's like, uh, hang on. Uh, Picard's like, hey, come in here, Worf. Oh, you guys uh, don't leave unless you're withdrawing from the jaw joke. <laughs> yeah. um, Picard asks Worf to be his fucking clown and fool to piss these dudes off. It's kind of not cool. No, I need you to come in and read these security questions to them. Because <laughs> I want to make them very upset. I want to shake them up, but it actually doesn't accomplish that much. Yep. Yeah. 
Yeah, they, I mean, it does it does seem like Galron didn't know what was happening, but I actually didn't get what I wanted out of Duras, so I don't know. Oh, again, you were saying earlier when um, he tells them about, or like they go back to study the results themselves or whatever, isn't all he's trying to get out of this scene some kind of reaction on their faces? And then you're right, he doesn't get anything, and he goes, oh, shit. That's, no, that wasn't usable. I really thought one of them was going to give himself away, but nothing happened. Um, Worf is uh, afraid of how other Klingons and even half-Klingons who work in the Federation will view his discommendation. Is he making an excuse in that first scene about discommendation because he doesn't want to see Kalar? Because he must be know. Part of it. He must know she don't give a shit. Oh, yeah, it's right, because her whole deal is she doesn't care about Klingon shit. Yeah, she talks about it all the time. Yeah. That's her main thing. Yeah, so for him to be like, I don't want to offend her with my uh, my dishonor. She, she She's like, my name is Kalar, miss me with that Klingon shit. Yeah, don't even bring it in here, I don't want any part of it. Yeah. You see this jumpsuit? You see how it's not made out of metal? Like, <laughs> just fucking take a hint. Uh, Worf is also pissed as hell about being an absentee father without, he didn't have a choice in it, but then like also he, he really right. He rolls with the absentee father thing. That's his main deal. Well, she's, uh, you know what it is? She's the Federation ambassador. And so right after she got pregnant, she was reading the logs about, uh, the child. <laughs> yep. And he and said that was, thing. And when he said, he said that maybe they ought to abort that baby right out of Troy. <laughs> yep. She was like, all right, so I'm not going to tell him. Um. Yeah, uh, Worf doesn't know what to do with this fucking weaselly ass kid. This kid that's picking on all the other kids, talking about how he would have won. Uh, he maybe doesn't make the best choice telling this kid to look at his bloody dead mom. I, I felt like he did that, and then he was like, "I guess I didn't have anything else. <laughs> I didn't have anything cool and profound to do." He's like, "Oh, you've never seen death. Well, okay, take a good look." I don't know why I told you to do that. Yeah. Well, uh, we know that Alexander remembers it because future Alexander, Jatrell or whatever, comes back and he's like, you told me to look upon my mother's death and always remember. And I did. Um, anyway, I'm going to go try and kill my sleeping younger self. Because so. <laughs> life's hard. Because I saw you die. Uh, Daddy. Dad, I love you. Daddy. And then we'll see how moved we are by that episode. I give it a nine. Characterization's a nine, executions a ten. Um, we could be a lot happier by the time that comes around because we, at that point, we won't be doing Enterprise either. Now you see, I didn't feel it this week because we did Star Wars last week, and I really needed yeah. my break, and I didn't get my break. Um, uh, Worf must answer this shit with a sword, obviously. Um, yo, he must know that when he's talking to Picard that this defense about acting inside of Klingon tradition is not really going to fly. You would think so. It's okay for me to, to do a murder because uh, I'm a Klingon. And he's a Klingon. Okay. Hey, Worf, do you know how I know that you knew what you were doing was bad? You <laughs> took off your communicator. Exactly right. You turned off your body cam, Worf. That's how I know that you are not suddenly surprised uh -huh. that I'm upset about this. Yeah, you didn't call your buddy Riker and ask to put on your commando turtlenecks and go over there. You fucking, you hid. Um, uh, Worf can see a day on the horizon when he won't be a pariah in the Empire now that Duras is gone. Uh, I guess he's pretty patient with this shit now. 
Kimpek remembers his fun times with Picard when he got shouted at hard by two Starfleet officers for the massive <laughs> empire-threatening corruption. <laughs> he sets up the least impartial and wildest king-making scenario ever. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, that all hurt. That all sucked for him for sure, but not as bad as, uh... The lady. Told him well, he was, I can't remember her name. Told him he was still fat. <laughs> told him he was still fat. You're still fat. <laughs> He's just like, God... I'm supposed to be fat. <laughs> I'm, I'm the leader of the whole empire. Haven't you ever seen the paintings of all of us? And from the past, we're all fat. Um, yeah, again, this Duras family is bad news, huh? Yeah. Um, I like how they have to give Duras, like, so many different bad guy traits. Even just, like, hating women seems to be. Oh, wrong. yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is, uh, at this point... It doesn't seem like women shouldn't be allowed in the council. Like, Gowron makes it pretty clear that he is offering Kalar a seat on the council. Mm -hmm. That That's a thing he can make happen. Later, it's going to seem like maybe that. In House of Quark, for instance, that's not possible, but I don't know. Oh, yeah. That's the whole thing about how a woman can't leave the house or whatever. It's like, wait a minute, what? Um, Duras must know that weaseling out of this challenge is going to look bad for him. Like, there's a room full of his dudes. He does. He seems more annoyed than anything. And this is the thing about Duras is he's working with the Romulans. Mm -hmm. He's going to blow that guy up. He almost certainly is the one who poisoned uh, Kampong. Though we never do any research on Though that. We never do know. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't. It ends up not mattering. Yeah. Uh, but he uh, he definitely seems to assume... Like, when his assassination attempt probably against Gowron doesn't work, he's not like, well, let's book it. I'm not going to beat this guy in a fight. And when Worf comes in, he is just, he seems annoyed and he's like, all right, give me my sword. I'm going to kill this guy. Yeah, he's like, first he's like. He seems to think he can do it. He's like, get the fuck out of here, dude. No one gives a shit about you. And then he's like, dude, Kalar was my girlfriend. We did sex. And then he's like, oh, <sighs> God right. damn it. I would, I'd get out of this, but I got all these dudes watching. I'll just, ha I'll handle my business. Then, halfway through the fight, he realizes Worf is so beefy. And he's like, uh, uh, I'm the only one who can clear your name. Worf's the guy who, like, takes this shit seriously. He's in the holodeck every day mm -hmm. fighting monsters. Duras, is Duras always... does a lot of drinking and laughing. <laughs> That's right, exactly. Um, Riker knows without being told that he's the one who has to bring Worf home and he's got to bring Data. Yep. He at least gets that part right, though he is a bit too late. Um, for me, it's, I, I gave it a six initially. I have to give it a five because Worf is such a bad father. <laughs> just makes no effort at all. It's just very low effort. And even at the end, he's, oh, he's very reluctant to admit that he's Alexander's dad. He's like, I'm going to send you to live with uh, some people. You don't know him. They can give you a family. And then he, at the end, and then Alexander goes, are you my, you my father? father? Uh, yeah, yeah. Y yes. I guess. I guess so. That, oh, you, that changes nothing. I'm still sending you to Earth. You want a hug now? Yeah, okay. Yeah, all right. You could send him to be raised by Kern, but yeah. he doesn't. Oh, yeah, and he's so worried about he might want to live in the Empire someday or whatever. Like, well, how about you do what Kern's fake daddy did he, and just basically adopt him? He must know it fucking, it hi it fucking highly sucks there. <laughs> right well we learned that he had a bad time there as an adolescent oh, when he went to visit his cousin's family 
Yeah, he ended up in a fucking cave getting a crazy vision. Fuck happened with him? What the fuck happened in his back? His backstory is awful. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So uh, justify for me. Quick hitters. Oh, do you already do characterization? Shit. Okay. Um. I sure did. Uh, like I said, that best of both worlds music came back in the teaser when the there's briefly a mystery about why the Klingons are there. Um. Does Kim Beck know that he doesn't have to keep drinking the wine? <laughs> like, no one's going to make him. He could just stop. Like, I, like he's imagining a scenario where whoever has an agent on his ship, that guy's like, hey, he didn't drink the poison wine today. Also, he had Picard there. And <laughs> yeah. they were he was telling him about how, like, at that point, the wine part doesn't matter. It's really not the most crucial part of that. But I he just keeps keep up appearances. He, just, he does just keep drinking it. He signals to the wine. He goes, the wine, you see. And then he just takes a big, fat fucking swig. And you just go. And then at the end, he takes one more. It's the last thing he does. And uh, it's effective filmmaking, but it doesn't make a lot of sense in universe. Uh, I wrote here, drain the swamp. Time for a political outsider like Gowron. Duras is just business as usual. Um, A lot of blue-eyed Klingons in this episode. Just all over the place. Yep. Um, I don't know if that is common or I, not. I still contend that Klingons did not become black until that Voyager episode where Schmollis <laughs> was angry about his son listening to Klingon black. music and inviting them over and ruining the neighborhood. God. Oh, uh, yeah. What was the name of that fucking episode? It's Dr. Sitcom. Sit- sitcom Daddy. Uh, Dr. Daddy. Schmollis M.D. Schmollis knows best. Let's see. I'm going to try to find it. I'm going to try to find my, it because there's no way we gave that a lot of points, right? My two holograms. It must have just sucked. Uh, it's not twisted. I know that. It's not parturition. Boy, I may not be able to figure this out. Hold on. I'm going to go to the rankings tab, filter it to only show Voyager, and then scroll down to the bottom. Um. Oh boy. Uh, oh boy. Here's the problem. The long. bottom is very big on Voyager. <laughs> it's most. It's most of Voyagers. The bottom. Uh. Uh. Boy. It's not. It's not Tuvix. Mm. Well, I couldn't find it. <laughs> I, by the name, I couldn't find it. It's uh, could be anything. Is that not? Is that non sequitur? No, it's not non sequitur. I don't fuck. I shouldn't even have brought it up. But I uh, wanted to make a point about how bad that's, that show must have scored because of the overt racism of Schmollis. Also, boy, that was maybe, dumb. maybe the rest of it was good. None, none of these are ringing a fucking bell. I don't know. I'll look it up later. Um, Marjan was devastated on Alexander's behalf. Oh, for the, because he lost his mommy? When Worf did the death yell and it scared him. Oh, yeah, and he ran, but ran into the corner, basically. Yeah, Marjan was very upset. <laughs> Because he's just Poor a sweet little, little boy in a jumpsuit. <laughs> yeah. This is all nonsense to him. Yeah, he doesn't know what's that going on. That lady's not even his mom. <laughs> the actor is for, for sure. It's nonsense for that actor. Yeah. But I would have won! <laughs> um, yeah, that's it, man. That's all of them for me. What about you? Uh, What would an attack cruiser be? Mm. Gun- guns of a battleship. Yeah. Maybe, I armor of a armor of a cruiser. We know that. Sure, 
It's got to be armored like a cruiser. Is it maybe like what we used? Speed of a destroyer? Speed and endurance of a destroyer, yeah, maybe? Gonna, Short range, high speed? I was going to say, maybe it's what we used to call like a fast cruiser, like the Alaska yeah. class or something. Yeah, I would think it would be something like that. Yeah. Because it's not a battle like, cruiser. It's not a battle cruiser. That's already something else. Is that what right. they call the, the Katinga? Yeah, the Katinga's a battle cruiser. Yeah. So, I don't know. An attack cruiser. Mm-hmm. Uh, eight minutes and twenty seconds. Picard says, "Come back." <laughs> he never gets it right until the dude's uh, dead. <laughs> uh, Eleven minutes and thirty seconds, and for the rest of the episode, he kind of switches to Kempek, which is still not there. No, you don't know. It's missing some vowels. It's, it's confusing. It's pretty close. Uh, Garon is an outsider who has often challenged the council. Mm. You know, a real Qui Gon Jinn type. <laughs> it's right. Uh, all the reviews say this was the first appearance of the Batleth. That doesn't seem right, I think, because we've seen, we've probably seen 50 bat. We've seen Sword of Kalos already. That's right. We've seen the one about the big bat left. Yeah. But uh, I guess this is it. I guess all those times he was in the holodeck fighting monsters, he just had a weird glove and like. uh, That's true. And we've probably, have we seen the um, Doc Tang yet? (laughs) We've seen the Doc Tang. That was in Sins of the Father. Okay. All right. So we've seen some stuff, but yeah, I, I guess it's true that we haven't seen the. The Batleth and TNG yet. Uh, directed by Frakes. I give best actor to Kalar, the big ham. Mm-hmm. And uh, worst actor to Worf saying Kalar's name at her death. Right before he does the death yell. Yeah. He gives a... Kalar! Kalar! Kalar. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tough... It's a tough scene. It's a tough scene to do. First you say the crazy name Kalar like you're sad about it. <laughs> and then do the big death yell from... Uh, also, we know uh, they made him wear chompers. Oh, yeah. And he had a lot of trouble with that. Whenever yeah. you see like, got, the behind the, the scenes. He's got the prosthesis in there. The behind the scenes or the bloopers or whatever. It's always him like slurring some word because he can't fucking help it. <sighs> All right. We did actually spend nearly an hour on that. It deserved it. Yeah. There was a lot happening. Second place last week was Voyager. Wild. <laughs> this week we watched Waking Moments. I just want to say you really drew the short straw this week. <laughs> having to do uh, like I'm not excited Bashir about having to describe what happened in Cold Station 12 in a minute, yeah. but our man Bashir and waking moments. It's real. It's a real treasure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, last week's surprising score for Voyager will be corrected. Um, seven catches up with Harry Kim in the corridor and says she urgently needs his assistance. Tuvok is called to the bridge in the middle of the night. Janeway can't get the lights on in the mess hall. And TP's on some kind of shuttle mission. Back to Tuvok, who is uh, crazy naked. Back to Harry Kim, who does a hot makeout with Seven. TP's shuttle mission goes bad and gets all shaky. Neelix is a terrible murderer, and Janeway's his next victim. You guessed it, everybody. It's an entire episode of Dream Sequences. Finally, a real candidate for lowest scoring episode. (laughs) Anyway, at the end of each of these Dream Sequences, each protagonist sees a weird alien giving them a nasty stare, so we won't even have any mystery about this. Nope. Wow, Voyager. Wow. They all wake up from their dreams, except for Harry, and they're all freaking out, and we go to the credits. 
Belana visits TP in his quarters and complains that he slept through their breakfast date. Uh, I guess they're on opposite shifts now and they have trouble seeing each other. Um, you gotta feel like that was Tuvok's doing, right? It was either Tuvok or Jane. Maybe Janeway's irrational anger about their relationship in that episode oh, was yeah, she just real. One order she forgot to rescind. <laughs> she's like, she's, then she saw it later and she went, actually, that's fine. Someone should be awake in the night, right? We should have someone who's important awake. I only trust five people on this ship. One of them should be awake at night. I know my shift alternately ends at 300 hours and 1,400 hours and 1,700 hours, but someone should be awake. Um. Uh, anyway, they make a date for Friday night, and TP heads to the mess hall. Neelix reveals there that he also slept super bad because of nightmares. On the bridge, Tom and Harry are late, and so is Janeway. Uh, when Janeway gets there, she and Chaco uh, share that they had bad nightmares the night before. And TP shows up and he says, yo, I had a nightmare. And they all had this crazy alien in it. So everyone's already on to what's happening. I guess they only have 40 minutes, so they're really getting into it quick. <laughs> That's true. Uh, Harry never comes uh, to his post, so they go to his quarters, suspecting he's still dreaming. And he is. They can't wake him up. Um, it turns out several crew are in the same state, and Schmullis can't wake any of them. In fact, his solution is to make sure nobody can fall asleep until he figures this shit out. In the next scene, the crew is filming a new episode of Monster Factory and recreating the alien from their <laughs> dreams. Sliders to full in either direction, guys. That's the rule. Chaco suggests... They're, I just called it doing a schisms, but of course... They were 100% doing a schisms, but then they did a Monster Factory. Yeah. Um... Chaco suggests the only way to learn more is actually the opposite of Shmolus's plan. They have to go into the dreams, a la Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors, and fucking... And everyone tells him, okay, you do that. <laughs> they got... That can be your contribution. I guess he's going to spy on this douche? I don't know what his plan is once he gets in there. Uh, guess what? His vision quest tech will allow him to lucid dream his way through it. Dude, they won't let it go. I was, well, I was furious. Two weeks in a row now we have to do this. It can't just be that lucid dreaming is a thing he got into in college. Nope. Nope. He's, no, it's some, it's, it's his magic Ferengi tricorder can do it. <laughs> then I have here written, is this episode actually going to flip around and become so terrible that it's low key great? The answer mm. was no. No, it did not. Uh, the Indian music starts up and we're going a dreaming. Oh, also, the lucid dreaming ritual appears to be the same as the vision quest ritual. Mm -hmm. He says, uh, "Yeah, Kuchimoya to us uh, all, man. Cheritamoya. <laughs> I'm far from the my my granddaddy's dead bones. Uh, <laughs> if you please, if you find my bones, don't use a tricorder. Please let me see the Earth's moon so that I know <laughs> that it's an inception. That's right. That's that's my totem." Fuck. Um, I watched this on a Monday morning, and it was at this point that I decided I couldn't get through it without another cup of coffee, so I took a little break here. <laughs> Akuchimoya to us all. Um, in the dream, Chaka was hunting deer again. He um, he sees the moon out a window, which I guess is uh, some kind of sign that he's in control of this lucid dream. The deer morphs into the alien, and the alien knocks a spear out of his hand, and after a short fight, the alien says, Yo, this is my reality. You're in my house, and he gives a lot of exposition about how the waking species have always hunted this guy's species in their dreams. And this is how they defend themselves. He says, when you get out of this part of space, your, your crew will wake up on their own. Chaco wakes himself up, except of course he doesn't. 
Um, and he tells them that they're going to head in the direction that the alien told them to go so that they can leave their space. Uh, Harry and the others wake up. Harry does some business about wanting to nail Seven again. None of this happens, and Chaco's not even there, so I don't really understand. <laughs> yeah, it's the worst. Oh, well, later it'll turn out that they're all sharing one dream. Mm-hmm. That's the only reason that you can't immediately go, wait, who saw that? Yep. <laughs> anyway, he wants to nail Seven again, I guess. Harry goes to the mess, where they all do a combined sneak attack racism against Tuvok. Yeah. Then the ship uh, starts to rattle. Now, they're behind me, by the way. I already had it in my quick hitters about the thing from the telepath episode. <laughs> Good. Then the ship starts to rattle and pop, and you know this Voyager party just won't stop. The aliens lured them in so they could attack them, I guess. Uh, the alien comes on the screen and says, Haha, I fooled you. My people are the lowest form of fucking scum and villainy in the galaxy. <laughs> then they board Voyager and they take the whole crew prisoner. Again, this is all part of a dream. It doesn't matter. They decide they need uh, to plan um, to escape the cargo bay, so Seven decides to beat up Harry Kim as a diversion. Uh, yep. Chaco and Balana head off to do some commando business, but Chaco sees that moon outside and realizes he's still sleeping. He never yeah. woke up earlier. No way! Now his tapping his hands didn't work that time. I wonder if it'll work this time. Well, he wakes himself again. Maybe. Okay. And Schmullis says the whole crew is asleep, except uh, for Chaco now, and it's been two days. Also, from their brain patterns, they guess that everyone is having the same dream. Chaco and Schmullis come up with a plan of action. Scan for similar neurogenic fields, and that's where you'll find the sleeping aliens who are attacking them. Assuming anything that alien told him was true. Yeah, he pops out of that the guy it's a he has a two sentence conversation with this dude and he pops out and he seems to know a lot about them mm-hmm. he's like i think they have an actual physical form in our universe i think they're asleep somewhere yes. and then that's the episode it's a real kirk he does a <laughs> he kirk. really does kirk it up yeah back in the dream the others noticed that Chaco tapped his hand and disappeared um that he woke up but they're all still dreaming um they decide they had to have a real high, uh, college freshman conversation about it. Yeah, maybe maybe we're all still dreaming, and it's it's a reality is um, it's the Matrix or something. Um, Neelix is Worf in this scenario. He's he immediately pipes up. Maybe I'm the only one who's real. <laughs> That's right. You know, because of his decorations. Because um, he's highly decorated. Uh, I guess they're all gonna uh, just kind of keep doing what they can in this dream world in order to, I don't know, figure it out. I don't know what they're doing. It seems like the consensus that they reached, (laughs) although this is not quite what they said, Hmm. is that they had to treat it like it was real anyway. Yeah, until... Like, hey, that's a fun speculation that maybe this is all a dream, but let's try and retake the ship. Yep. And all the conversation, by the way, stops about what happened to Chaco there. It's like, yeah, if you decide, not, one way or the other, he's gone. If you treated it like it's reality, then you should probably be pretty worried about what happened to Chaco. Um, mm, so where'd he go? Uh, anyway, Balana tries some engineering business, and whoops, uh, she causes a warp core breach, I guess, or one starts. Um, <laughs> Janeway thinks it's fake and puts her tongue right on the warp core yep. <laughs> when it breaches, and she doesn't even get all tingly or anything, so I guess it's a dream. And we know that bitch is hot enough to cook a changeling. That's right. That's right. You push if you them turn off it. that one force field. Uh, then um, Chaco sees everybody start to wake up. But he looks up and he sees that moon again, bro. 
Yes. And it took me, I had to watch it twice to realize that only this part was a dream. Mm -hmm. That he had been awake, but he had fallen asleep again. And that's when he had the dream that everyone woke up. I mean, we'll talk about it, but it's the worst episode I've ever seen of anything. Um, It's it's very poor. (laughs) The doctor wakes him up again. And then I have near fuck with about 100 U's. Chaco uh, beams down to this alien world that they found by scanning for those neurogenic fields. Um, Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Dream Janeway has become a dream superhero. She decided that dream phasers don't hurt her anymore. And so they don't. And she gives a dream speech about keeping dream control and confronts the dream aliens. It goes back and forth between awake Chaco trying to shut down the sleepy dream field and Janeway having some dream attitude. Uh, what did Ch- what did Chaco find when he went down there, by the way? Uh, did he find a bunch of clothed adult aliens lying on a hard rock surface with nothing around them? That's exactly what he just found. A whole, just a whole civilization of yeah. people lying on a rock? I didn't say what he found because it was exactly what he said he would find. <laughs> he found the thing he found I, what I assume is the image he had in his head when he first came up with the idea yeah probably um, uh, anyway um, Chaco decides that rather than take the medicine the doctor packed for him he's gonna give it to one of the aliens to wake him up uh, the doctor I guess didn't send him with a lot of medicine yeah should have sent him with two doses huh maybe who knows how long he'll be down there um, Chaco tells the doctor to be ready to destroy all of these aliens if he doesn't hear back from him within five right. minutes. Get ready to genocide. Get ready to kill everyone down here, even though I often fall asleep. <laughs> you might not hear from me in five minutes. Um. Anyway, um, so much for peaceful Chaco. Um, Chaco then threatens the alien he woke up, who disappears from Janeway's dream. Everyone notices that. But then Chaco gets so sleepy and he falls asleep again. Yep. In the dream, he threatens the other aliens now, and I guess the guys turn off the sleep beams, and everybody wakes up. And the doctor gives a medical log, saying, now everyone's afraid to go to sleep in case they're stuck in a dream world again. Chaco goes to the mess hall, and he runs into the whole fucking gang, just doing like a late-night in-person Zoom call. That's what it is to hang out now, right? Yes, that is an in-person Zoom. From now on, we'll know know those as in-person Zooms. (laughs) Uh, everything's gonna be fine though. It's gonna be fine. They'll all they'll get over their insomnia. It'll be fine. That's the episode, man. What, if anything, was this episode of Star Trek Voyager about? Okay, hear me out. I I can't wait. Maybe all of this. Mm-hmm. All of it. Yep. Is a dream. Can I wake up from this part where we have to talk about Voyager? Tap, tap, tap. I didn't do anything. No, that sounded a little bit like you were furiously beating off. So <laughs> that's my that's how I do it. He does it by tapping his hand. I furiously ah. beat off. Oh man. Yeah. Uh, what if it's one of those times you don't got no inspiration? And it takes forever. Uh yeah. Oh, you know, sometimes it takes a really long time to wake up from a dream. It depends. That's awful. Yeah. That's awful. Oh, and then the person in the dream's just watching me do it, and it's it's not great. Uh, I gave it zero points. I don't think... I mean, it's nothing. It's not a no-take. It's just nothing. What about it? What if? Yeah. What do you do? What's next? What 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 would logically follow? What if you don't have a doctor up there with a torpedo <laughs> aimed at the people who are making it all a dream? The doctor. This does a, this does a worse job of examining the idea of what if everything was a dream than Final Fantasy X. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it does. By the way, big spoilers. Yeah, that's right. If you haven't played Final Fantasy X, no. Now it's 
You know what? There's so much good stuff in there, though. There's Blitzball. There's fucking Kamari. Yeah. And fucking Waka. Yuna. You can learn a new language. That's right. Okay, so you can learn the Albed language. It's not all about the fact that it's maybe it's all a dream or whatever. Um. Uh, uh, well, I had dreams are spooky, huh? Will we ever understand them? Don't go to sleep. <laughs> um. Mm, don't fall asleep. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, it's a zero. That's nothing. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's nothing. I don't know. I mean, I mean, I guess I'm you not, could give again, that a one for hints about, for themes of what, what, what is, what are dreams and how does it all work? I don't know. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, no. I'm not giving theme points. Nope, not today. Uh, Did it, maybe it executed really well though. Again, I didn't no take it. It's eligible to receive points in execution. My execution, my whole uh, paragraph is six letters. It just says, well, hmm. It's a zero. It's a zero in execution. It's the worst crafted episode I've ever seen of Star Trek. Do, I, if I gotta see that moon one more time, I'm just gonna quit the project. It's so <laughs> it stupid. Be, it best not be a full moon tonight. But That's all I'm gonna say about it. He saw the moon the third time. I went, is this, are we, why, why are we doing this? I, like when I ask Ben why he keeps hitting himself when he does this project and he yeah. and he turns around and says, well, why do you keep doing it? That's yeah. it's moments like this where I'm like, yeah, why am I doing this? Uh, maybe I can go into more detail. Okay. So first of all, it's a whole episode about nightmares and that sucks. I mean, okay. Last week when we saw what the title was, I said, oh, that implies that at least part of this episode is going to take place in a dream. Dude, like the whole fucking thing uh, does. <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah. Um, nothing that happens in this episode is remotely interesting. No. Uh, Chakotay does his lucid dream halfway in, mm -hmm. so you know right away that he's still asleep. Yeah. Because there's, tw there's 28 minutes left. Yes. He didn't solve this thing in there. Yeah, when he taps his hand and wakes up that first time, you you just go, no, though. Nope. No, <laughs> that'd be cool. No. I wish, but no. The whole uh, Janeway taking command in the dream, mm. useless side plot that accomplishes nothing. A hundred percent. The Even the end of the episode is a jump cut to a medical log. Yep. We, we end up learning nothing about, A, these weird impossible aliens. Yep. What happened to them? How they solved this whole thing? How any how this society could possibly have come to be? What life in a collective dream is like? How it differs? Nothing. They they why they don't have like a house? Fail. They just sleep on a rock. <laughs> why? Yes. Who who makes all of those clothes that they put on before they go it's lay? True. Not on beds. On a rock. Yeah. What is the real world economy? How does it work for them? Where are the babies? How does any of it work? Yeah. Uh, so we utterly fail to learn anything about these people. Which means we fail to explore the premise in any way. That's correct. And then B, we also don't learn anything about the personalities of the crew. No. Let me recap the dreams for you, the nightmares. Yes, I only gave one line each on those. Paris' big nightmare. What if he's not a good enough pilot? Yeah. That's his thing? 
Yeah, I thought there was he's got this be something whole, about his he's got dad. He's got his dad. He's got this whole shit with Bolana going on. Oh, yeah. His shit is he might not be a good enough pilot. Oh, yeah. And then uh, Bolana comes in and they have a whole scene that doesn't lead to anything. You'd think the dream should be about her just based on that scene. Yeah, but it's not. Yeah. Uh, Janeway, she's worried she's not going to get everyone home. That's it. Maybe she's worried Neelix is a serial Maybe killer. she should do something about it. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. Uh, Kim, afraid of sex, I guess. <laughs> he probably isn't ready. His nightmare is that Seven of Nine's a little too aggressive. Yeah. Tu- Tuvok, the dude is 150 years old. <laughs> yeah. He is from a, a dis- dispassionate, entirely logical race. Yeah. His nightmare is that he went to the bridge naked. <laughs> he had the most conventional anxiety dream. And it did bother him. We are shown it, it that it did appear to him. bother him. I, uh, yeah. Uh, Chakotay, did, we don't see Chakotay's dream. It's something about how he didn't want to hunt a deer, but then he did hunt a deer. Yeah, like he refused to in real life, but in the dream, he always goes back and hunts it. And so, like, what does that say about him? Did he really want to hunt the deer? I don't know. Yeah, it's it is a waste. We learn nothing about these people. Agreed. (sighs) Nothing about the sleep aliens makes any sense. Yep. And also, no one is in the least interested about them. It's terrible. I gave it zero points for execution. All right, we're on a (laughs) this episode is on pace. I did text you after I watched the teaser and asked if if this was maybe the worst one. <laughs> I didn't expect it to come so soon after our conversation about would anything ever beat uh, the, Ome- the Omega Glory? Which one was the one yeah. that's the worst? The, the Omega Glory is the one currently sitting at the bottom. Yeah. Uh, world building. Sure, go for it. That fucking Vision Quest device can do another thing. Yes, it can. Uh, there's something called neurogenic fields. Okay, we're on pace here. We have the same notes. And there's something called hyper REM sleep. I didn't even bother to note that. Yeah. Uh, you wouldn't all need to. It's only induced by neurogenic fields. <laughs> it's, not, it's not anything you need to worry about in the real world. Sure. I gave it one point. Uh-huh. If you said, Judah, that sounds like zero points, I wouldn't have a good counter argument uh-huh. to make. But I did issue it one point for the idea, I guess, of neurogenic fields. Although now that I think about it, that is just Voyager nonsense, isn't it? It's techno babble. <sighs> yeah. Um, okay. Zero points. Yeah. Uh, but that sounds like zero points, though. That's well. That's what I gave it. Yeah, me too. I gave it zero. God damn it! I had lucid dreaming with the Vision Quest technology. And a neurogenic Which I field. hate. I'm so mad about the Vision Quest technology. It won't go away. A neuro- it's what is his spirituality? What does the device do? I don't know. What is it? What does any of it mean? I don't know. I just know the Indian music starts up. I hate I that I like thing. to believe that in-universe the Indian music starts up. I, I'm not Native American. I cannot believe anybody is not insulted by that. Oh my god. They've done nothing but insult them. Again, aliens came to them. <laughs> And, like, made their whole... Co- like, what even yeah, happened? Yeah, they recognized their noble spirits, mm-hmm. and so they <laughs> gave them what did the they give superpower. Them? The superpower to do what? I forget. I that episode sucked dick. God. Uh, a neurogenic field that makes everybody mad sleepy, bro. <laughs> That's it, man. That's all they did in this episode. It is, of course, zero points. 
All right. But you must have given him some points for characterization. All right. Well, TP seems less interested in dating Balana than he is in doing fun physical activities. Oh, yeah. He just wants to go skiing all the time. He's like, let's go do the skiing program again. She's like, it's too cold. She, let's go to she Fiji. She wants to go to Tahiti oh, or whatever, yeah. which for sure is code for let's get drunk and fuck yep, not in interested. a hut. He right? does not care. He's like, no. Hey, like, let's get one of those. Let's get one of those places that's like a cabin built out on a pier so that the ocean is right underneath the floor. So no one will really hear us if we're just banging so away. We could just fucking go nuts in there. And he's like, no, let's go skiing. He's like, all right. That takes takes eight hours and you're super sweaty and tired afterwards. <laughs> it's like compromise. Chili. But it's still, a little bit warmer. Still skiing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> she goes, uh, how about Tahiti? And he goes, as long as I can go water skiing. What? Hey, buddy, go do that on your own, man. He doesn't know how to have a date. Balana doesn't enjoy hanging out in the snow with TP. Also, she's racist against Vulcans. Chaco always refused to hunt deer as a kid. He also does a lot of experimenting with his vision quest tech on his own time. Yes. <laughs> so how he already knows that he can he can do a lucid dream with it. Oh man, I would love to have an episode where somebody breaks his vision quest device. <laughs> and Torres has to try and fix it. Whatever, that's the B plot. The A plot is Inspector Tuvok uh-huh. figuring out who broke Chakotay's vision quest device. And then, um, what do we hope? The answer is Janeway, because... Uh, Tom Paris sat on it. Total accident. <laughs> um, peaceful, understanding Chaco threatens the total annihilation of these dream aliens. <laughs> yeah, he goes full genocide. That sucks, dick. Uh-huh. Janeway is nosy about other people's dreams, and I'm not sure it has anything to do with their current predicament. I think she no. just wants to get the hot goss on everyone's fucking yeah. dreams. No, she for sure wants that goss before they figure out that the same alien was in everybody's dreams. She's like, what'd you dream about? Uh, I don't know. I can't really remember my dreams that well. No, nah, you remember, though. What, what it was it about? Was it a sex dream? What was it? She's the same about it as when uh, Schmollis can't read the room and figure out that Harry Kim doesn't want to tell him about his sex <laughs> dream in front of Seven of Nine. Catherine, uh, who knows? Maybe Janeway shits all over aboriginal creation myth oh yeah that is true to her anything is possible but not this aboriginal stuff he comes in and he's like there's there were aboriginal tribes that believed that the dream world is just as real as the waking world and she's like fuck you that's dumb and sounds no dumb. one takes us no one takes a minute to think about what it might be like if you held that belief mm-hmm. or how it might how it might reflect on these people that are living that that is their reality yeah again janeway yeah. the one who will spike the lens and shrug about whether or not there's an afterlife. Just goes, that's fucking stupid, though. Don't ever say that again. Did Harry think Schmollis wanted to hear about his sex dream? I mean, Schmollis 100% did. I, did Schmollis know it was well, a sex Schmollis dream? would have if he'd known it was a sex dream. Yes, Let's he would have, that. right. But, but he keeps telling him telling about the dream, and Harry's just going to do it. He's like, uh, all right, uh, I mean, I guess. I, I, uh. You're the doctor. I think you outrank me. It's not. It's very unclear. I seem to be the lowest ranking person on this ship, even though some of these people must not be commissioned. We've already been getting the impression that Seven's his boss, and that, I don't understand how that makes sense. I, I, yeah, exactly. Well, you know, again, before she was assimilated, she held the uh, legitimate rank of seven Child. years old. Yes. And is Harry such a fucking squid goon that he can't even look at or talk to Seven after he had a sex dream about her the night before? Apparently not. I hate him. He's also racist against Vulcans. 
Neelix is racist against Vulcans. Definitely, even though he's weirder. He's weirder and he doesn't even know Vulcans that well. He just knows this one. I gave it a two. He's just, he's again, he's picking up on the room. I gave it a two and if you told me it was a one, I'd say fine. Well, <clears throat> good news. I did give it a one. <laughs> uh, all the stuff about how the dreams don't tell anyone about anything about these characters. Then also, it's a fucking coincidence that Chakotay is into lucid dreaming. Mm-hmm. Like, what if... um. What if he hadn't been? Hey, what if he never everyone dies? experimented on his own with the vision vision quest technology? Yes, I think everyone just dies. Everyone dies. Uh, and then, as you said, the big problem is he is going to do a genocide. Mm-hmm. And there's no scene where Janeway wants to talk to him about the actual order that he gave to Shmelis to kill all of the people. <laughs> All of them. Also, I you know I didn't mention it in mine, but I I don't think Shmulus has technically himself made a pledge, has <laughs> has taken the oath, but uh, he's very distressed by the order. But it does seem to be because he doesn't want to kill Chakotay. Yes, he does seem like he's about to do kind of a lot of harm. Yeah, a little bit. And he seems pretty okay with it, except for the part about killing his good buddy Chaco. Uh, yeah, I gave it one goddamn point for characterization. Fair. What a travesty of an episode. And by the way, not fun to watch. Like you said, is it going to be so bad it's good? No. And you just start seeing that moon over and over again. You're like, well, this is fucked Uh, up. Okay, we're doing this. Okay, okay. All right. Yeah, uh, yeah. Things lined up so shitty right away that I thought there was a chance this could turn around and be just a (laughs) wild fucking insane episode. But no, it's just boring and stupid and makes no sense. Uh, all right, quick hitters then. Have we seen this engineering code of Bolanas before with the pen pockets? I don't know. It turns out we haven't. They're just hiding a pregnancy. That's what I was going to say happened, but I couldn't remember if that's because that's what they did for Crusher on TNG when they put her in it that It is code. what they did for Crusher on TNG also this season, so we will start to see it this season. Okay. Also at the end of this season of Deep Space Nine uh, with Kira. They're going to start to put her in a coat? Well, they, they, I think they, they write it into her plot. Yeah, they write it instead. in that she... They handle it better with her, but it's the same thing. During season four, Yo, each of these series had an actress get pregnant. Don't say they handle it better with her. Okay, it's bad what they do. <laughs> it's bad and dumb what they do. They what they end up doing her, like... with it. They fucking beam someone else's baby into her. We'll talk about it when <laughs> she, we get there. She can't just have a baby. In the space future, Kira can't just have a baby. All right? It's wrong. And then and then Dax says, who's the dad? And then she goes, mind your own business. Yep, that'd be great, but... Then... Be fine. Instead, they come up with the convoluted thing where she carries O'Brien's baby. It's very bad. Someone said O'Brien should have another kid. You know how we haven't seen Keiko or Molly in a whole season at this point? <laughs> because it's not interesting. Woo! Yep, okay. Um, I thought Tuvok's mind was filled with dark horrors that would drive a normal man crazy. <laughs> but I guess his big fear is what if Bolana Torres saw his dong? That's, that's what he showed that guy on that planet. Oh, you want dark thoughts, do you? Mm. And the guy's like, oh, everyone looked at it. Oh, no, she started laughing. Everyone looked at it, they all laughed at him. And then Is he... she laughing at this situation, or do I have a weird one? And then he had to go back to his quarters while an alien watched him get dressed. <laughs> I'll never find anything this dark again. Tom Paris, I know he's sleepy. <laughs> he watched Neelix pour him a cup of cooking oil. <laughs> 
And that was bad and dumb that Neelix did that because uh-huh. it's not very much like coffee. But then he got it all the way up to his mouth and took a drink before he noticed. Yes, he did. Very dumb. Uh, my final quick hitter. This is what happens when you let the science consultant submit scripts. <laughs> well, we know they'll take them from anywhere. Well, they took them from Andre blah, 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 who ended up becoming an Enterprise writer. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, only only writer for all four seasons of Enterprise 2, by the way. Oh, that really makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So no ep- no episode actor- of Enterprise will ever score as bad as this. No, it's, it's so <laughs> unlikely. I gave best actor to uh, Earth's Moon. <laughs> and worst actor to... Uh, he doesn't have a name, so I'm calling him Sleep Near the Sleep Alien. Yeah, he wasn't good, was he? No. Oh, boy, I got a, a couple. Oh, and please, please present them to the class. Harry Kim getting pushed against this bulkhead in his sex dream, that whole sequence with seven is all time bad acting it's extremely bad he does a I real another... slapsticky guffaw when he hits the fucking bulkhead i have another question how come no one told him not to get fat <laughs> river in the book when people started capping on him when they started writing it into the scripts that they that he and tom paris got fat <laughs> that's so good <laughs> when i was listening to that audiobook <laughs> and they mentioned that section i went i mean they did get kind of chubby um, I mean, look, we, we get it, but I don't have an appearance-based job. Sure. <clears throat> yeah. Anyway. Um, I hate him, though. Like, Enterprise wasn't that much later. That's what I'm saying. It was so quick. What it happened? turned on a fucking dime. Everyone in Enterprise is jacked. And everyone on Voyager <laughs> is like, a real soft-looking dude. Yeah, I uh, I guess Tim Russ probably the most jacked. He was the uh, most he, fit. He's most fit, but he did not. You know, he's not cut. No, he did not look like he had a ton of the muscles. Um. Anyway, I hate Harry Kim. I hate Garrett Wang. I just hate. I hate everything about it. Um. Hey Chaco. No shit. The aliens' eyes were further apart than that. This first rendering has his eyes fucking touching each other. Hey Harry Kim's twenty six or twenty seven now, right? Yeah. He's. He's still got a lot of growing up to do. Look, my quick hitter was about Garrett Wang. I hate them both. I hate Harry Kim and I hate Garrett Wang. I hate Garrett Wang hit that bulkhead and went, What was it? What was the direction on that? Did someone tell him to do that? He tried to convince them to let him do a shoulder roll. (laughs) Another one. Uh, The doctor complains that... um, he has to leave uh, ever, all the crew where they lie because uh, all his complaints about a small sickbay have fallen on deaf ears. Did he ask for a sickbay large enough for the whole crew? Good question. He's like, well, I had to leave me or my sickbay is too small. <laughs> I think everyone's ignoring my complaints about how small the sickbay is. It's like, yeah, that wouldn't really help in this situation unless you ask for a sickbay that will fit 100 people. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking idiot. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't a smart thing to say. <clears throat> Yeah, man, that's it. I don't want to talk about it. That's it. All right. So bad. Cool. That's all very cool and good. Uh, The winner last week was Enterprise. That's just baffling. Wild thing to say. This week we watched Cold Station 12.
been a long time since we didn't play that theme, huh? Yeah, when was the last time they finished last? <clears throat> uh, that's a that's a good and also tough question. Uh, Give me a minute. I'm looking. They tied. Nope, they didn't. Um, no. Uh, I can just look in the clips folder and see what the latest Enterprise one is. No. Uh, 44 is the most recent one. So that suggests to me that week 43 was maybe the last one they lost. No, they lost with Azadi Prime. Oh, maybe week... I replayed one that I had played before. Could be, yeah. Week... Midnight Oil or something. Week 69, they scored 21 points, which was last place. Okay. But that was still 11 ago. Yeah, it's been a while. Um, 11 years earlier. <laughs> I'm just, There's just one. There's just one flashback in this one, so... Just bear with me. Uh-huh. It all becomes linear again in a minute. Okay. We see Soon giving a speech to a bunch of children in what looks like a partially finished greenhouse. Although I don't think that's a thing that exists. Like, this definitely has rock walls, but then a whole big glass wall also. Yep. He's telling these kids that humans will always fear them, but that they are the future, and that one day they will have to wake their sleeping brothers and set them free. Cool. In the present. Soong and his augments are planning an attack on Cold Station 12. Soong wants it done bloodlessly, and uh, Malik... Malik? (laughs) Malik? Yeah, Malik. Claims to understand. But does he? (laughs) Will he? Yep. Uh, Enterprise doesn't have a good lead, because I guess they already forgot about Cold Station 12. And so they go to Soong's old house from the cold open. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, they search it, but it turns out they're not alone there because Reed chases down a raggedy teenager uh, who attacks Archer as soon as he hears the word Earth, but is easily subdued. Yeah. Uh, on the way to Cold Station 12, Soong tries to get the truth about Rakeen's death out of Malik. That's forehead. And from, Malik, forehead from last week. It's the guy with the big forehead. Mm-hmm. Malik admits that he killed him, but he tells a very different story about how it happened from what we saw. Right. But it doesn't really help because Soong still is not happy about it. No, but he gets out of it with a lot of father. Yeah, yeah he's real manipulative yeah. about this whole thing. He's a real fucking Kalar about it. <laughs> kind of. Kind of. I didn't want to say it. On the Enterprise, Phlox reveals to Archer that this kid that they brought aboard isn't, strictly speaking, an augment. Because he doesn't seem to have the enhancements all his brothers and sisters has. Uh, he introduces himself to Archer as Udar, a.k.a. Smike. Mm-hmm. And he tells him he's not going to help him find the others. Uh, he's a, it's a real Jeremiah Rossa situation. Yeah, this, he needs to know the ways of Archer and Earth. Yeah. Uh, Trip reports that a bunch of artificial wombs were taken from the colony below, and I guess that's what Archer needed to hear to remember about Cold Station 12. <laughs> it's true, because it definitely came up last week. Uh, Malik and Persis have an after-sex argument about whether Soong is fit to lead them. Mm-hmm. And at this point, Archer has the big briefing with Trip and T-Pole. They're going to Cold Station 12, which is a joint earth denobulin medical facility. There's 1,800 Augment embryos in storage, a fact which T-Pole and Trip have both forgotten from last week when Archer told them. (laughs) Yes. And uh, the Enterprise has been authorized to use any force necessary to stop him. 
I have a question, and we can probably get into it later, but I just wanted to stop you right here. Was there, like, a long hiatus between these two episodes? Oh, I don't was think there a in writer's the real world that there was. Or something? Because it, but you're right that they are. There's a lot of recapping. There's... Okay. Well, I have I have specific notes about it later. I just didn't know if you've okay. done any research on it or whatever. Uh, my research did not indicate that at all. Okay. Did I look this one up? I think I looked this one up. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I did, because I, they talk about uh, the guy who played Dr. Lucas, because he's been in other stuff. Ah, oh, right. Uh, one of the many. <laughs> one of the many Wilford Brimley clones. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so Enterprise has been authorized to use any force necessary to stop them. The Augments am- ambush a Denobulan medical ship. Uh, Archer tells Phlox that his buddy, Dr. Lucas, who he's been writing all these letters to, is now the medical director at Cold Station 12. Mm. And Phlox says, okay, then I want to be in the landing party, because... Because I worked there, and I can puff my face up if I need to. <laughs> yeah. Please take me. And Archer says, yeah, whatever. Also, I'm only taking five people, but why not you? He's uh, been exchanging so many letters, but I guess this guy never told him he was assigned to that station, because Flox is yeah, he says, floored. He says, well, I knew he was being transferred, but I wasn't interested in asking him where, I guess. <laughs> That's right. I mean, it's probably classified, but still. He didn't bother. Uh, the hijacked ship reaches C-12. They do more kung fu action. Um, mm. uh, Lucas and all the other doctors are knocked out by a gas attack, but they manage to sound an alarm. But I don't think anyone gets the alarm. It's a black alert. Black alarm. Condition Something black. Like that, but it doesn't seem like anyone gets that. No. I don't know. Oh, it's like the alarm that's constantly going off on the first floor of my building that no one seems to be <laughs> tracking. So I don't know what it, why it exists. Exactly. Why does it exist? Um, Archer uh, brings Smike in for a big steak dinner and tells him he should consider going to school on Earth and he's not going to go to jail and he tells him all about his actual parents who presumably have been dead for about 70 years. Yeah. Uh, he goes and talks to Phlox. They they do a, another info dump on whether humanity is ready for genetic engineering and if it could have saved Archer's daddy. Also, Phlox is building mass for his hibernation. That's just a throwaway. Yeah, it's just a little bit of world building. Yeah. Uh, Enterprise gets to C-12. They get a call from Soong. He's got hostages, so they pretend to leave the system. Like, they turn around like they're going to leave, and I guess that's good enough for Soong. Yeah. But they aren't even out of transporter range somehow because uh, Archer takes Reed and Flocks and a couple of Makos and Smike, and they all beam over. Yeah. Uh, oh, also, and this is weird. They talk about how they have to match the frequencies so they can beam through the shields. They don't have shields yet. Yeah, I don't know. What is that? Also, if that's that's all it takes, everyone forgets that part later on. That if you match the frequency, well, you can beam through. Because then, like, forever after the, that. Matching the frequency of the shields is an extremely important plot point in the movie Star Trek Generations. That's all I'm going to say about that. But, yeah, that's true. That is actually true. But for the rest of the <laughs> for the rest of the show, everyone's just like, we can't beam through shields. What are you going to do about it? Soong uh, is trying to get access to the embryos. Uh, Malik convinces him to torture one of the other doctors in front of Lucas to get, make him give up the code. Yeah, but he's this brown. guy ends up. <laughs> this guy appears to be from the subcontinent. And ends up dying from Cymbeline bloodburn. Yeah. Uh, Archer's team is attempting to shut off life support or something. Anyway, it's noticed right away, and Persis takes some people to go to investigate. 
Uh, when Soon realizes that Lucas isn't going to give up the code, he tries to save the man's life in there, but it's it's too late for him. So I don't know if the die is cast or this whole episode is ab- about Soon realizing he's made some bad decisions. Yeah, I guess. And um, spoiler alert, everybody, there's at least one more of these. Yeah, that's right. This is part two of three. Yeah. Uh, uh, Persis and her team capture Archer and everybody. Um, but I guess they shut off Archer's communicator and T-Pole and Trip detect that. And so they're going to go to plan B or whatever. So he's confused when he sees Smike because everyone told him that he was dead. Mm-hmm. And okay, but then Malik says, but from a certain point of view. <laughs> I mean, essentially, right? Uh, he wants to know why you guys all banished him. And they're like, because he sucked. Yeah, you see? Because him? we're good and he's not good. We do Kung Fu. What does he know? Um, Archer gives a big speech about it. But before it can sink in, soon can do anything or whatever, T-Ball calls up. And Archer tells her to execute her orders, which is to self-destruct the sequence with him and Flocks and the Makos and everybody on board. Just blow up all of Cold Station 12, Mm -hmm. which it seems like this is the point where Trip should yell at her. But instead, they just kind of exchange glances and like, I guess we're killing them. I guess we're killing a lot of people today. (laughs) I guess we're going to kill a bunch of people today. We're going to kill like 40, 50 people today. (laughs) Orders are orders. Uh, anyway, something's jamming that signal, so they're going to have to come in there and shoot a torpedo at him. Uh-huh. Uh, Malik throws Flocks into one of these death tubes, and the Enterprise is getting shot by a Klingon ship. Uh, anyway, at this point, Lucas agrees to give up the code so that his good buddy Flocks doesn't die. Yeah, he didn't care about that that other doctor, but he can't, uh, he can't watch his buddy Flocks eat it. Soon goes with Smike to look at all the embryos, and, uh, while well, Malik starts getting a bunch of plague samples and stuff to take with him as insurance. Mm. Uh, Archer tries to fight his way out, but uh, Malik gets him cornered and they do dumb fighting. He sets the station to release every pathogen simultaneously when they've gone. And then he just shoots Smike to death. And then I guess he meets back up with Sue and they get on a shuttle and leave. Yeah. And they get into that bird of prey and escape. And Archer starts running to the primary junction to shut off the containment breach to be continued. Yeah, I guess if we can guess, he's probably going to have to do something damn heroic. That's what I was led to believe. Yeah. What's what's this old episode about? I think what they're doing is (laughs) what you risk when you create a radicalized population or element is that you'll have trouble controlling them later. Um, this episode was like, Soong, Soong made these kids earth-hating weirdos, and now he has to deal with them constantly tricking and undermining him in order to <laughs> keep punishing humans and killing humans. I mean, I, I think it's a worthy take. We do this a lot with Enterprise, where we try to consider what time period this is in. I guess there are probably a lot of people who don't immediately realize that a radical element is just as dangerous to their own leaders as to the, their enemies. This is something you could have you could have used to further enlighten your understanding of the situation in the 2000s in like Afghanistan or Iraq or whatever. And we did right. tend to view our enemies as kind of a unified, solid, unshakable, loyal to the death bunch. So I, I like I get it. I get what they're doing. 
they're being like Soong made these dudes and he fucking raised them to be crazy radicals and now he can't control them even a little bit right yeah there's definitely some parallels there um alternate take is archers when people are taught to feel superior to others you can't really be surprised when they start discriminating even within their own group or against former allies or whatever because they're all like the smite guy sucks dick He's not cool like us. He can't do a spinning back fist at Sensor Man Fly. And then he's like, but I hear really good. My ears are great. I'm Smike. <laughs> um, I give it a seven. Uh, I went more along the lines of Archer's take. If you teach a group of people that they're superior, they inevitably view everyone else as disposable. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I'm I'm thinking more of the context of today when there are a bunch of white pride idiots who haven't picked up on this one yet. Yeah. Who think, uh, it's okay if I feel like we're superior if we don't do anything about it. Yeah. Uh, so I guess this one is still has work to do, even 20 years later. Yes, it turns out that nothing happened between the, the 90s and now, or even maybe the 60s and now, it turns out. Yeah, it's not so much. Yeah. Uh, I gave it a five based on uh, based on that alternate version. Okay. Uh, execution then. How did it do? One, no matter which of these takes you like, one aspect that's very murky in this story is how much these kids are this way because of Soong's indoctrination Mm -hmm. and how much they're this way because he was arrested when they were 10 (laughs) and it's been Lord of the Flies ever since. (laughs) Right. Yeah, that's true. They don't get into that part. Right, like they don't they don't want to talk about it because that's not the story they're trying to tell, but it is a problem that they created in the plot by making them ten instead of twenty when he was arrested, right? Yeah, like, what difference would that have made? I don't think it would have made any. They would like maybe they thought he didn't look old enough? I don't know. <laughs> well, they give us the flashback, they're like, hey, look, he looks his hair is blacker. Do you yeah. see? Uh I think this episode does a fairly good job of driving the Sung Malik conflict that we know must be coming. Mm-hmm. But it does leave the Enterprise crew with very little to do. Yes. Um, also, as early as the 22nd century, no one has any idea how big a bird of prey is. <laughs> it's true. It's Like, mystery. from the last scene, it must be hundreds of times bigger than that Denobulan ship. Yeah, that ship did disappear like a tiny speck into the shuttle bay. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, the middle part of a three-part arc is usually the least satisfying story-wise, because it starts and ends in the middle. And finally, there's still too much Spiner, although I guess I like Error of His Ways Spiner better than Trixie Spiner from the first part. Oh, yeah, the one that was having so much fun. I hated him. I gave it a four for execution overall. Okay. Um, I just broke this into pros and cons. Pros. Very little of the eminently hateable Enterprise crew. I mean, it is true. They're almost not in it. They're not in it, and they're terrible. So that's not bad. Except, well, there's a con for that. But anyway, uh, you get sort of a realistic look at somebody coming to grips with their big life mistakes. He's only in the midst of it. He hasn't fully come around. I assume that's next episode. But it's not like they're doing the work so that Soong doesn't suddenly and without any real motivation realize the error of his ways next week. Yes, I think story-wise that makes sense. Like, they're... This, they gave this one too much time, probably. Three parts, Three is maybe too, too many much. parts. They spent so much time last week at that fucking slave center with <laughs> fucking really the did. big show. Ugh. Um, 
A reminder, it won last week. Yes. Cons. All of these models walking around in ripped clothes trying to act. That's a con. <laughs> yeah. They are bad at acting. It also doesn't make any sense. They've had plenty of time to get some new clothes. Also, why are their pants You'll as ripped as their shirts? You'll notice that Mike gets new clothes right away on board Enterprise. Their pants are as ripped as their shirts, and yep. I don't understand any of it. It's clearly a uniform. They all have rips in the exact same way. It's... I... I, by the way, except when uh, Persis is on top of uh, Malik her and she's fine. got a completely <laughs> unripped purple camisole that covers much more of her body than her regular shirt. Her undergarments are totally fine. It's only their... It's, I'm telling you, it's uniform. It, in universe, it is, it's uniform. It is their uniform. They think it looks cool. They're fucking assholes. Uh, another con. Bad, bad CGI and green screen stuff looked bad. oh it was particularly bad when they were in that room with the embryos i was like oh uh-huh. shit are we is this for real well again it could have been a temple in final fantasy 10 <laughs> it could have they could have been solving an embryo puzzle in there <laughs> uh and of course the flip side of no enterprise crew is having to spend time with these awful augments who we definitely don't care about the fact that we're coming back for a third look at this motherfucking thing is also yeah. not encouraging. I'm, you, sometimes you ask me if I'm excited to see part three. I'm not excited to see part three. Still, the, on um on the Enterprise curve, I gave this a five. I I will say I definitely was expecting worse. Yes, last week also I was expecting worse. This week I was expecting worse. This was the of course the last one I watched. I had watched. Waking Moments and Our Man Bashir before this. That's really tough. <laughs> and so I was real primed for this one to eat a dick. Uh, World building. Yeah. Um, so Soong didn't get it all right. He made a normie by accident. Udar or Smike. Whatever his name yeah, is. It's, I don't know how, what. I don't know why he took 19 of them. Why he couldn't take 20. I don't know what he did to those embryos before he birthed them. Yeah, he says that he made some modifications of his own. That's what he said last week, but I don't know when yeah. or if that was to all the embryos or just these. I don't know. Um, again, 1,800 more fancy augment embryos are in storage here. Archer gets the license to kill from Admiral Forrest. Uh, this Denobulan medical ship and the facility that they are uh, like co-running. Flox has to increase his body mass before he goes into hibernation. He's aiming for a 10% increase this cycle. D- okay, so Ben brought this up before. Do Klingons not clean their weapons, or do Augments not clean their weapons? Because <laughs> all of the guns in this whole episode look rusted out and fucking gross, like sticky. Like, if you put your hand on it, you'd be sticky. <laughs> yeah, it's not the best condition for a weapon, for sure. I don't understand. Well, we don't- we don't know how plasma weapons work. Maybe they burn out whatever the fuck's in the barrel oh. and all the stuff on the outside is who cares. <laughs> well, I care because it looks sticky. It does look sticky. You're right. Someone put jam on the weapons yeah. and they shouldn't have. It's better with Smike. Guys, I got <laughs> jam on the guns. I got honey on my gun. <laughs> Guys, they did it again. Gosh. Um, uh, Cymbeline Bloodburn. Good look at the shuttle bay in the back of that bird of prey, though again, what size is a bird of prey? Also seems like a weird place to put a shuttle bay. Looks like he almost flew. You have to fly right, right, right the through the engine. engine. <laughs> right into the engine exhaust. Um I'll give it a two, I guess. There's stuff in there, oh. but I don't really care. 
I liked it even one better, I guess, for world building. I gave it a three. Um, there's lots of callbacks to diseases we already know about mm. in universe. Synthococcus novi, you may remember as the hippie disease. <laughs> oh, yeah. The disease that Dr. What's-His-Nut That he got had. from science. Yeah. It's the one that science gave him. Uh, Tellurian Plague is from TNG. Yeah. There are others. Um, that's true. Apparently you know what? That's th- actually really smart. They make up a new uh, illness in every episode of both TOS and TNG. There's a lot that well, you can reuse. Yeah, why not reuse them? Yeah. Um, there's this uh, a joint Earth Denobula medical venture here, yep. wh- which apparently is where Earth keeps a lot of their top secret shit. I guess they... So, First contact with the Denobulans must have been real good, huh? <laughs> Not only do they really trust the Denobulans, like, I guess they really think that they know what's going on. Like, they, they're the smart ones. Yeah. We're going to entrust all of our worst shit to them. Does, in the last season of Enterprise, I guess we're in the last season. In this season of Enterprise, do all the Denobulans die? Because... Because <laughs> where are they? Where are they? Yeah. They seem really important to this early part of humanity's venture into space. Just one of the 500 reasons not to do a prequel. What happened to them? What happened to the uh, the Silex dudes? What happened to the Zindi? What happened to... Just what happened to everybody? Yeah. Yeah. We also get a big refresher on the eugenics wars in this. So Yes. It's not world building in and of itself. Uh, and they don't do the main thing, which is they don't give us a date. Yep. which we kind of need to make sense of the eugenics wars but it i think the consensus since space seed seems to have been oh, let's just kick that a hundred years later yeah and then i'm not sure whether that is included in world war three if it's the same as world war three it's yeah. i don't know i don't know how it all works yeah it's tough um characterization characterization i am a four okay Archer has got what it takes to turn one of these Jonos around. <laughs> Steak dinners and a new jacket. <laughs> he also told him about his Greek dad or whatever was happening. I don't remember. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And his mom was a decathlete. Yes. Which uh, is not in the Olympics currently, but I guess between now and the eugenics wars will be. Um, For women. Yes, yeah. Uh, Phlox seems to be a little more mixed on genetic engineering this week than he usually is about the cutting edge of medical science. Mm-hmm. Maybe he watched some history channel last week about the eugenics wars or something. And now he's like, ah, yeah, I guess I kind of see how that could go bad. Yeah. Uh, T-Pole makes the tough call to blow up the station. This episode is mostly Soong and the augments. And I, I, this is all one arc. So I, I don't really feel like I can start scoring them yet. I mean, it certainly wouldn't fucking matter. Yeah. Who cares? I so I gave it a four for characterization. Okay. Um was Malik fully British last week? Uh he was doing a thing. I thought he but was what that thing is exactly is hard to say. Yeah, I thought last week he was just trying to sound like a douche, but then in like in this episode, he's just fully from fucking Londinium or whatever. Fucking Angleterre. <laughs> Jolly old London town, like that song you love so much that you can't find. That doesn't exist. <laughs> I just, I was like, what? So I guess, I guess he's an Englishman. I don't really. Okay. Um, he's also a, a real fucking manipulative child. All of this father shit. And of course, he's preposterously evil. So soon can realize he did a fuck up. Yeah. Um, Archer kind of sucks at making people feel at ease. He drops his phaser off of this. Uh, 
smite guy for one quarter second and declares that they are friends. <laughs> no surprise the guy doesn't go for it. Yeah. Uh, Archer was only 12 when his dad died of Will Clark syndrome. Uh, you know, high voice. Bat- high high voice. Bat- yeah. bat- speed gets slower every year. <laughs> it's tough. Uh, what Soong told him last week seems to at least make him consider whether or not they should be able to play with genetics. He has this whole conversation with Flocks about it. Soong maybe does really care about these kids. He certainly seemed upset about Forehead eating it. Yeah. And he doesn't really want to kill people. Like, seems like as a last resort he's willing to. Um... Coincidentally, Flox has spent time on Station C12, called Station 12, and his best bud, Dr. Lucas, is in charge there now. So that's, I guess they felt like we needed a Flox thing in this episode. Like, if he said, I want to come along, my buddy Dr. Lucas is there, Archer would have said, no, this is a military operation. So he had to be like, but I worked there. I worked there, so I, know I know all the tubes. I and, um... <laughs> And wires, and careful notes, and antiquated <laughs> notions. That's right. Uh, I agree, it's a four. Um, I barely wrote quick hitters for this one, so I hope you have some. I never have many for Enterprise. So we already got this whole backstory about him raising those kids till they were ten, and t- teaching them to hate Earth last week. Why do we need this flashback of Soong with the kids? Is that literally to introduce the set they're about to go to? Boy, I really feel like it is. Like, as if if Archer said, so we're going to the planet that Soong told me about last week, and then they show up there, we'd be like, what's this? <laughs> I've never seen this, and I don't buy it. They, like, had to show us him talking to some kids in that room, because I, otherwise what? I didn't get it. What? What's any of this? He straight up told us all of this last week. I saw up in the corner when the episode started that it was TV 14 for nudity. What? Uh, is it because Persis has got raging ping in that one scene? <laughs> well, it's like, I don't remember any nudity. Also, what's happening in this episode? Where was the nudity, and why would it only be TV-14 for nudity? What's happening? That's a good... I don't know if that note was accurate. That's a like a semi-good question. Uh, yet another fake-ass Wilford Brimley. We talked about that. Um, this guy working on breaking the passcode at Cold Station 12 was a bottom five all-time realistic button pusher. <laughs> he looked so clumsy hitting those keys, like he'd never been around a real computer keyboard before. It looked like he was playing a grand piano. <laughs> a little bit. What was he doing? I know he's just a dumb model, but like... I'm, a, I'm breaking the hexadecimal passcode. And he has his wrists all up all weird. Fuck this guy. Also, don't worry. In case you were worried that they um, that they did accuracy in any way, don't don't worry about it. He says there's like a couple hundred thousand entries, but then it's a 16-bit hexadecimal code, which is like several billion <laughs> <Right>. possibilities. <laughs> yep. So, they fucked that too. Um, You know what? That's it. That's plenty. What about you? <sighs> what did I write? Um... Uh, it sucks that Lucas watched that one scientist die, but then buckled as soon as Phlox was in the tube. That's really going to hurt his reputation with those other scientists. He's a real piece of shit. That other guy's in there fucking, fucking Cymbeline Bloodburn or whatever. Yeah, I gave best actor to Lucas and worst actor to Persis. Yeah, she sucks, huh? And her face is a weird shape. We talked about this last last time. Why are all augments have a weird shape head? 
It's not cool. Uh, it's like someone had a theory that um, all models have like unique facial features. Yeah. And that it's more important to be like striking than to be beautiful. Yeah, as long as people are like interested in what's happening with this whole situation, that's what matters. Right. Because they definitely picked some some strange looking humans. I mean, this whole thing was an episode of Monster Factory, not just Voyager. This one was too. Yeah. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Uh boy, the numbers are in. Uh, the numbers must be really good, right? Oh, they're pretty good. Okay. Uh in last place this week. Voyager waking moments. Um, three points. Three points between us out of 80. Out of 80. Uh, that is a new low for each of us and definitely a new low for the total. I mean, what are we supposed to do about it? It uh, it was bad. Here's the thing. I can't actually say I'd rather watch the Omega Glory hmm. again. I mean, hmm. that was very disappointing. Yes. I think for some reason there were expectations with the Omega Glory, and yeah. there were none for this, for sure. Yeah. It wasn't as uh, disappointing as that, but it was fucking horrible. Second place with 24 points. Okay, so a little bit of distance between them. Yeah, yeah this is just 21 points better than that. I'm sorry, third place with 21, 24 points, just uh, 21 points better. Uh, Our Man Bashir, Deep Space Nine. That episode sucked. It did suck. 24 is... Yeah, it only got three in world building. It did only score three world building points. Second place this week with 34 points, which is better than average. Yeah. Enterprise Cold Station 12. It's actually better than it had last week when it won. Yep. We um, both scored it high on premise. Yes. Um, so they're doing better in this arc than they normally do. Normally their two and three parters are, are pretty fucking nasty scoring. That is That is absolutely the case. But... Cleaning up just a green board. Yeah, really. The winner with 47 points. Reunion. It's a good score. It's a good score. Yeah. Uh, characterization was uh, uh, not as exemplary as the others. Mm -hmm. Just if you look at uh, its percentage but compared to the others. Good execution score. Good execution score. Good premise score. Um, 47 is... The, you know, about seven points higher than the average for about six points higher than the average for a winner. And it is TNG's 32nd win. I was just going to say it might have topped 50 just from my scores. If Worf was either interested in not being the worst father of all time, <laughs> just like made an average effort. And if anything about what Kim Peck did made any sense at all. Yeah, it's, it is true. It's a baffling. There's a, some really weird shit that happened in that episode. Uh, yeah, 30-second win. That's uh, that's a lot. Yeah. It's uh, nine up on Deep Space Nine now. And of course, Deep Space Nine's in a little bit of a funk. Mm -hmm. Two 24-point weeks in a row. Uh, when was Deep Space Nine's last win? Oh, let's see. Mm -hmm. It might have been a little bit. Uh, Speak 76 with Rejoined. No, it was... Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Sorry. Just because it only scored 35, so it didn't immediately stand out to me as a winner. Also, you only gave it 14. So, uh, yeah, that might be why. Yeah. Um, yeah so uh, TNG now nine up on Deep Space Nine. Mm -hmm. uh, TOS is out. Their final is 17. Yeah. Enterprise 6, Voyager 2. And um, they almost scored two points this week. So, <laughs> yes, that two wins. God. 
they got oh, they got a lot of improving to do. Yeah, Voyager's now under twenty five per episode in terms of points. So yeah, they're really eating shit. Uh, next week, yeah. So so okay. Last week we did Star Wars. Yes, that means next week's are going to be a big mailbag. Yeah, we're going to do a mailbag. So we'll be back to the that regular episode format, and then two weeks after that we'll probably do another Star Wars. Yeah, but we are mercifully finally off the clock tonight. Thank fucking god. However, oh shit! I for just... week for week eighty one, yep. we are watching Future Imperfect. I didn't even notice that after I finished with uh, Reunion. That would have made me so excited. Future Imperfect, Future Imperfect, and Final Mission, both pretty good. But then we do get the loss on Data's Day. Yeah. All right, but then the wounded. But then Devils do. It's gonna be a Up real. And down. A real roller coaster the rest of this. Also, season. Devil's Doom just might be so wild that it scores points. Who knows? I mean, it could be. It is a big contract law dispute. <laughs> it could potentially score By points. The way, how much more TNG can you get? It really is. It's a big contract law dispute. Yeah. It, no, it absolutely is. Uh, but uh, just just a reminder that Measure of a Man is our top all time top episode right now. That's so. right. Uh, Deep Space Nine Homefront. You know, we know that's. Uh... That's the changeling one. Yes. A changeling attacks Earth. Yeah. Voyager. Message in a bottle. Mm. All I know about this is they did not license the police song. But you'll use it, right? Because didn't Voyager finish dead last by a million points? <laughs> Voyager finished dead last, so expect me to play like Walking on Synchronicity the moon. 2 <laughs> <Okay>. or... <laughs> right. <laughs> you should play Walking on the Moon because that's his, that's his totem. I should I should be walking on the moon. That's uh, not one of my favorites. No. And um, uh, hopefully we wrap this arc up with the augments. Yeah, please, God, please, can it be over now? I know it's not, though. I know even if the arc is over, there's more business with it because there's Klingon business. Anyway. Uh, yeah, that's what, so we're watching those. Uh, again, next week's mailbag. Um, mail has been coming in. Keep sending it. That's at BrotherDate on the Twitter machine. Um, you can check out Landry and other stuff on brotherdate.com. You can send us email. Uh, yeah, again, make sure if you have feedback for us for the Star Wars episode, you fucking get it in. You still have a couple of weeks, but yeah. if you don't, we're just going to do it again. <laughs> That's right. Please tell us. Please? I really would like to know if you don't want us to do it. And I have a vested interest in knowing. <laughs> um, it means a week off if we don't have to do it. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> um and yeah brothers at brotherdate.com is the email address uh itunes various pod catchers um oh uh judah found a possibility of another uh host in case ours ever goes under so that's good oh yeah 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 I'm, i am contemplating migrating to an actual host so that i don't have to keep begging people not to uh <laughs> please don't not listen. to at please don't advertise us in any way um yeah that's it man we'll be back for more we are uh, off the clock and you guys are off the clock and we're all gonna be off the clock together from here on out uh cynicism might save your life yep all right i just closed i just accidentally closed my notes <laughs> <laughs> we're on we're on fire here please subscribe